The following story has been brought to you by storiestoinspire.org. And it is a great, great honor to call upon the first speaker for tonight, the renowned Magid, renowned author, renowned speaker, renowned Moal, Rabbi Pesach Kron Shlita. I'm deeply grateful to two wonderful young men, Daniel Aguilar and Nassanel Epstein, for having invited me to come to speak to all of you and tell you these two beautiful Hanukkah stories. But first and foremost, I would like to tell you about both of these young gentlemen who are doing wonderful things for Klal Yisrael. Daniel Aguilar has an organization called Stories to Inspire. Now, if you go on his website, storiestoinspire.org, Without exaggeration, there are over a thousand stories that you can listen to on all topics from all types of speakers. Again, if you want to hear stories, go to storiestoinspire.org. Or you can call the hotline, and I'll repeat the number twice, 718-400-7145. Again, 718-400-7145. And I will repeat this at the end of this presentation. Nassano Epstein is a wonderful young man as well, and he calls himself the talisman. Anything you want to know about talisim or tzitzis, the halachas, any type of tzitzis that you want to get, whether you want to get tchelas, whether you want to get different types of tzitzis that are made in different ways, just call Nassano Epstein. He is a tremendous bucky, an expert in this. His number, and I'll repeat it twice, is 845-745-9588. 845-745-9588. I had this chus to know his grandfather, who Nebuch passed away less than a year ago. His first yard site is coming up now on Hanukkah. He was a wonderful man, Dr. Howard Feintach. I met him when he was in Houston, and I know the family for quite a few years. And this presentation is being made as a schos for his neshama, so it's Lezecha Nishmas, Tzvi Eliezer Moshe, Ben Rabar and Yosef, again a schus for Dr. Howard Feintuch, Zechad Tzanek Levrocha, his neshama should have an aliyah. The first story that I would like to tell you, I like to call A Light in the Darkness. Very beautiful story that happened many years ago in the Bergen-Belsen concentration camp. Now, we all know that in the concentration camps, whether it was Bergen-Belsen or any place else, it was almost impossible to do mitzvahs. Of course, the Yidden were constantly watched, constantly badgered and tortured and killed. It was an awful place to be. But yet, there was a person there, and everybody called him Rab Shmilka. His full name was Rab Shraga Shmuel Schnitzler. Rab Shaga Shmuel Schnitzler, but he was known as Rab Shmilka. And it was in the month of Kislev, and he said to the people in the barracks, I'm telling you, we're going to be able to light Hanukkah candles, Hanukkah licht. We're going to be able to light Hanukkah licht here in the barracks. And they thought he was crazy. How could it possibly be? The guards were constantly watching, and people would be killed for no reason at all, and especially if they were trying to do any mitzvahs. But he felt he wanted to give them chizuk, and he kept on telling them, you'll see. We're going to be able to celebrate Hanukkah right here in the barracks. Now, Rav Shmelka had an awful, awful job, and he had no choice. But many times, Nebuch, when people were killed, he would have to take the dead bodies out to the field where the Germans were going to take care of the bodies. And 
many times he knew the people that he was carrying out, whether it was on a wagon or by himself. And he would cry as he would carry out these bodies. Every late afternoon he took them out the same place he walked out every single day. One late afternoon, it was in the month of Kislev, all of a sudden there was like a lump in the ground. He almost tripped over it. He had never seen that lump in the ground. Was somebody hiding something in there? How did that get there? It wasn't there the day before. And he couldn't figure it out. And he decided he was going to look into it to see what was there, but he couldn't do it if any of the guards were watching. So he waited for a time where there was nobody around. And then he started digging up that lump in the ground. And you're not going to believe this. He started digging and digging. And then he saw the most incredible thing. There was a little flask of oil there. Who put it there? And the more he dug, then he saw not only a flask of oil, there were little cups, and there was cotton that would be able to be used as wicks. Obviously, some Yid hid it there and was planning to use it on Hanukkah. Now, to me, one of the best parts of this story is that Abshmelka left it there. He knew that if a Yid was hiding it, he wouldn't dare take it, even though he was promising everybody that they were going to be able to light Hanukkah and they would be able to celebrate Hanukkah. But if there was a Yid that hid it there, he didn't want to take it away from that Yid. After all, that Yid was probably Moisa Nefesh to do that. But when he came back to the barracks, he started asking everybody quietly, did anybody hide any wicks? Did anybody hide any oil? No one knew what he was talking about. But every day he would make sure and look at that lump and make sure that that mound of ground was still there. And now it came Erev Hanukkah. And he was figuring probably the Yid who hid it there, who was hiding it there, would probably come and take it, but nobody came. And so right before nightfall, he ran out and he took the oil, he took the cups, and he took the wicks. And he brought it back to the barracks. And late at night when no one was, none of the guards were watching, he took out one of the candles, one of the oil cups, and he put in the oil and he put in the wick, and he made those three brachas. Of course, we make two every night, but the first night he said, Shechayonu, and the people were crying, and he was crying. Who could believe this? Nobody believed that they could have Hanukkah licht in Bergen-Belsen. And every single night, they lit Hanukkah licht. The second night, two, the third night, three, every night. And just like Rav Shmelka had promised, they had Hanukkah in Bergen-Belsen. It was unbelievable. Nobody could believe it. Now, four months later, in April of 1945, Bergen-Belsen was liberated. That meant the people were able to go free. So many had lost their lives. But those who were liberated, if they wanted, they were able to go back to their country. And he went back to Hungary. And there he went to a place called Bekes Shaba. And he was known as the Chabarov. And he was there for many years afterwards, from 1945 to 1951. People would come to him for brachas because he was such a helegeyid, he was such a holy person. And in 1951, he moved to Eretz Yisrael. And then, when he lived in Eretz Yisrael, he decided that he's going to come to New York for a visit. And 
he knew that he wanted to see the Satna Rebbe, Rabbi Yoelish. And the reason that he wanted to see him, not only because Rabbi Yoel was from the Gedoli Hador, if not the Gadol Hador, but certainly because Rabbi Yoelish, this Satna Rebbe was also in Bergen-Belsen. And he wanted to talk to them about what they both went through. And sure enough, he came to Williamsburg and he met with the Rebbe and they were talking and they were sharing events that had happened. And then the Rebbe said, there's one thing that he feels so bad about. And the Chabarov, Rabbi Shmelke, asked him, what is that, Rebbe? He said, you know, I was able to bribe one of the guards and I was able to hide little cups and a flask of oil and wicks and they were never used for Hanukkah. I was liberated four days before Hanukkah, the Rebbe said. So I was able to get out, but those lights were never lit. And Rabbi Shmelke said, Rebbe, you're not going to believe it. I found it. It was in a little lump of ground, a mound of ground. And I want you to know that we used it. And because of you, so many people got such tremendous chizok. They were crying. They were so happy. They couldn't believe that we could have licht and that we could have Hanukkah and Bergen-Belsen. And Rebbe was only because of you. And the Rebbe was so happy, he never realized that they had used, all these years he never realized that they had used the oil and the wicks and the, those cups. And he said, I'm so happy. I'm so happy to hear that the Rabbi Shlela made another nest with oil in the month of Kislev. And I told this story, my son-in-law Hanani Kramer put it on something that's called Living Lessons. And... I remember, I got a call after it was on Living Lessons. The great-grandson of Rabbi Shmelka had seen it. His name is Chaim Schnitzler from Williamsburg. And he told me that he and his father were watching it and they were crying. They didn't realize that the whole world would now know the story about their ancestor, Rabbi Shmelka. And his name would live forever. The person who was Moise Nefesh and who brought so much joy to people who were in so much pain. But that was another ness of Hanukkah. I would like to share with you now a second story that it, I like to call Broken to a Point. And this story was told by a Magid in Yerushalayim. His name was Rab Shapsi Yudalevich. He would tell it many times, especially around Hanukkah. It's a beautiful story that happened more than a hundred years ago. And he would tell the story, and it was printed in Svarim. And of course, he was given the credit, and that's why I would like to give him the credit as well. Now, what happened was that there was a tzaddik in Yerushalayim. Let's call him Rablipa. And Rablipa was very poor. He had a large family, and he had to raise money. So he decided to go to Italy. And he came to Milan. Milan is one of the big cities in Italy. And there, he landed on Friday morning. He didn't know anybody in Italy. So he started walking the streets and asking people where the Jewish neighborhood was. And as he was in that area, he was just walking around in his big begadim of Yerushalayim. It looked like a Yerushalmiyid, which he was. All of a sudden, there was a horse and a carriage, very fancy horse and a carriage. And it stopped right alongside him. And somebody opened the door of that carriage and called out, Rabyid. What are you doing here? There's not too many Yidin that look like you that live around here. Where are you from? 
He said, I'm from Yerushalayim. He said, well, that's wonderful. Please, come in. Let's talk. I'm a Yid. I would love to see you. I'd love to talk to you. Rablipa was never in such a beautiful carriage, a horse and a carriage. He couldn't believe it. He couldn't believe that the person would take him in there. And then they began talking. And this name, his name was Arieleib Hilvicht. And Arieleib started talking to the person, Rablipa, and he said, where are you from? What are you doing here? And he told him that he came to raise money for his family. And he said, where are you going to be for Shabbos? He said, I have no place where to be for Shabbos. He said, come on. Why don't you stay by me? It will be so happy. We have a wonderful Rav in town. I'll take you to the Rav. But you, you stay by me. I'm so happy to see a Yid like you from Yerushalayim. And of course, he took him to his house, which was not a house. It was like a mansion. It was just unbelievable. And he took him to show Friday night. And of course, he was put up front together with the Rav. And he had a wonderful discussion with the Rav. And then he came back to the house of Rabbi Yuleib and... He sat him at the table together with all his children. And the truth is, Rabalipa never saw such wealth in his life. Everything was so gorgeous and so fancy. And then he happened to take a look at the break front, which was right behind him. And, you know, during the meal, he kept on looking. So much gold and silver and crystal bowls and all these amazing type of utensils. He never saw anything like it. But then one time when he turned around to take another look, he saw the most amazing thing. There was a glass that seemed to be broken like a flask and had jagged edges. And it certainly didn't fit into there with all that fancy gold and silver and crystal. What was it doing there? And he had been talking to Rabbi Arileib and suddenly Arileib realized that he's staring at something. He said, I see that you're concentrating on something in the breakfront. Is there something there that interests you? He said, Ramaria Leib, you know, I appreciate so much that you invited me. I've never seen Kalem like this, silverware and gold and silver. It's amazing. But what is that broken glass doing in there? It doesn't seem to fit. And Ramaria Leib smiled. And he said, it's so nice of you that you noticed it because there's a great story that I can tell you about it if you want to hear it. And he said, of course I want to hear it. Now, the kids had heard the story many, many times. But Rabbi Yaleib never got tired of telling this story. And as I tell it to you, you'll see why. He didn't get tired of telling this remarkable story. And he said like this. He said, you know, I grew up in Amsterdam. I was 18 years old. I was working for my father. And suddenly we got a letter. We got a letter from my grandfather who was living right here in Italy. And he was very old, but he had a very big store in the center of town. And he used to be a wealthy man, but now his health was failing and he needed help. He couldn't manage his store anymore by himself. So he wrote a letter to Amsterdam and he asked if I would come to help him. And my father and mother, they felt that that would be a good business experience for me. And they sent me from Amsterdam to Milan in Italy. And you know, I was there and I was there for a few months helping my grandfather and slowly but surely he got worse and sometimes he couldn't even come into the store and I was a kid and I was running this big store I loved it it was so exciting I was making real money and I would report to my grandfather every night of everything that happened and he was so proud of me but never eventually he passed away 
Now, when he passed away, my parents got in contact with me and they wanted that I should just close down the store and come back to Amsterdam. But I didn't want to do that. I was just so much into the money and so much into the business atmosphere. I loved it. And I said, no, I'm going to stay here. I really want to continue this. And they said, okay, if that's what you want. And I stayed and I ventured, I was able to build another store, a branch of this store that we had. And I was making a lot of money. I was so busy and one day I forgot to daven mincha. At night I remembered that I haven't daven mincha. So of course I daven two myriffs. But then slowly but surely I began to forget davening altogether. There were some nights I forgot myriff and then the next couple days I forgot chakras. And slowly but surely I was so involved in the business that my Yiddishkeit was disappearing. Eventually I got married I had children. I didn't marry a religious woman. And we knew we were Jewish, but we really didn't keep anything. And slowly but surely, I lost almost everything that I had ever done in Yiddishkeit. And one late afternoon, I was walking in the street in Milan, and I saw a whole bunch of kids playing. And they looked like happy little kids. And all of a sudden, there was a scream one of the kids screamed and he started crying. Oy vey, oy vey, what am I going to tell my father? What am I going to tell my father? And I turned around and I said, what's going on here? And this kid is crying uncontrollably. And all the kids are standing around him. And they didn't know what to do for that kid. And this kid is sitting on the floor and he's crying. And I went over to him. I said, boys, what's going on here? What happened here? And they said, you know, this little boy is a poor boy. And his father sent him to buy oil for Hanukkah, because tonight is the first night of Hanukkah. And the father told him when he gets the oil, he should make sure that he comes right home and he shouldn't play with us. Because if we play, you know, the flask of oil might be broken. But, you know, he saw us on the way home, and he figured he'd put it on the side, and he would play. And unfortunately, it just broke. And... Arielib said, I turned around, the oil was all spilled on the floor, the glass flask was broken, and this poor kid is crying. I said, my child, what's going on? He said, my father saved money a whole winter just to be able to buy this oil. We're very poor, and now what am I going to tell him? What am I going to tell my father? And he said, my child, come with me. And he walked him back to the store, and all the kids followed back behind us. I took him into the store. I got this big flask of oil, much bigger than he had. I said, here, go home. Give it to your father. You'll be able to light Hanukkah candles. And all the kids ran home together with this kid. They were so happy for him. And I was sick to my stomach. I actually did not even know that that night was Hanukkah. I could not believe it. You know what I did? I went back to where the kids were playing. The glass was on the floor, but that flask was still there with the jagged edges and I brought it back to my house my wife said to me what is this and he said you know something I feel terrible I have strayed so far that I didn't even know it was Hanukkah tonight and this little boy he had some oil and it spilled but this is the flask that he held it I just want to hold on to this flask and that night we lit for the first time in years. We lit the first Hanukkah candle. And the second night we lit the second one and then the third one. And you know something he was telling Rabbi Lipa? Slowly but surely I came back to Yiddishkeit. 
I realized how far I had fallen. And my wife was a wonderful person, and she went along with me, and we became from. She really wasn't that from as a child, but I was. I knew everything that you have to do. And slowly but surely, though I kept my business, and as you can see, Baruch Hashem, I'm very prosperous, but I always kept that flask because that's what brought me back. That's why I have it in the break front. And you know, when I heard this story, I was reminded of something that the Chedusha Rinmon said. You know, all of you certainly remember the story that when Yehuda came in front of Yosef in Mitzrayim, he didn't realize that it's his brother Yosef. And Yehuda had brought Binyamin, and now Yosef wanted to keep Binyamin. And Yehuda said to him, Eich el elovi, how am I going to go to my father, Anari, and Enuiti, and the child is not with me? How could I go back to my father? I promised him that I would be responsible, I would bring him back, Binyamin. And the Ger Rebbe said those words that are in Parshas Vayigash. And the Pasik tells us, Eich el elovi, it's in Bereshis Mem Dalad, Lama Dalad, if you want to look it up. He says it has a deeper meaning as well. At the end of 120 years, we're all going up to Shemayim. Eich el halovi, how are we going to go to our Father in heaven? Vahanar and and our youth, the Averis that we did in our youth, we didn't do tshuva. So, our youth, we have so many Averis of things that we've done in the past. And the accomplishments that we could have done, it's not with us. Eich el halovi, how are we going to go to our Father and give an answer? for our behavior. And you know something? In a sense, that's exactly what happened with Aryeh Pilvecht. He realized that one day he's going to have to go back to his father in heaven. But now he wanted to have an answer, the tshuva that he did. And the tshuva came about because of this flask of oil that had been broken. And that's why he kept it. Now let us try to learn from both of these stories the great, great lessons. From our labor, we have to remember that if we've done Averis, we can come back. The Abishta wants us to return and to come back. And let's remember that miracles happen. Hashem protects us. And just like Rabbi Shmelka wanted to do the mitzvah of Hanukkah and help the Yidden and Bergen Belzen, Hashem helped him. So once again, I would like to thank Daniel Aguilar for having invited me and also for his wonderful website, storiestoinspire.org, and the hotline number, I'll repeat it, 718-400-7145, 718-400-7145, and contact Nassanel Epstein. He's the talisman. Whether you need any tzitzis or talisim, anything about those, whether you want the knowledge or you want to buy them, 845-745-9588, 845-745-9588. And let's remember, it should be a schus for his wonderful grandfather, Dr. Howard Feintach, Tzvi Eliezer Moshe Barabarn Yosef. He should have a Nalias Neshama, and all of us should have a wonderful, wonderful Hanukkah. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Rabbi Pesach Kro, for your tremendous, powerful words, as always. I want to remind everyone to reach out to the talisman, the sound Epstein, for your... For, his ta- for for your talis and and, and for your talis and and citrus needs, or as well as high Judaic items, as well as um, citrus demonstrations. Um, everyone should reach out to the talisman again at 
856-745-9588. And there's our great, great honor to call upon our next speaker for tonight by Joey Haber, who is the Dean of Religious Studies at Mag and David Yeshiva High School in Brooklyn, New York, as well as the Rabbi of Mag and David, the Mag and David Synagogue in Brooklyn, New York. And he's a great, great honor to call upon, to call upon Rabbi Haber. We spin the dreidel on Hanukkah, and on the dreidel it says, Nun Gimel Heshen, Nes Gadol Hayasham. But while the dreidel is spinning, you can't see any of those letters. Because very often, that's the way life works. That while life is happening, is spinning, and we're running, and we're doing, we don't exactly see the miracle. It's once it stops, once we pause, we can see the letters and see what's in there. Let me tell you one such story. So about a year ago, it was the summer, and I stay in deal in the summer, and I'm walking up a road called Runyon Avenue after Shacharit on a Shabbat morning. And I'm walking with my sons, and I don't even, still don't know why, I decide to make a turn, and instead of going to the house where I'm staying in on Runyon, I make a turn, I go up Parker Avenue. As I'm walking up Parker, a man stands at the house, front of his door of his house, and he says, Rabbi, come into my house. I never met this man before. I don't know why I agreed. I came into his house. His name was Zuki Jarade. Hi, Zuki. What's going on? Nice to meet you. Nice to see you. Rabbi, so honored to have you. Come to the back. I have something special. I don't know what's going on. I go to the back of his house on the porch. And he's making a little kiddush on the porch. He has kiddush. And apparently his son likes to cook up very interesting foods. So after he makes kiddush, his son hands me a food. says, Rabbi, you have to try this. I don't know why. It's so not my type. I tried it. Then I tried another item, then another item, then another one. I don't know, I was trying all different foods. In the middle of all this happening, someone sitting right behind me says, Rabbi, you just lost five grand for Kesha. I said, what are you saying? What are you, what, what's going on here? So after a little while, I realized what happened was that they, two men, Zuki and another wealthy man in the room, in the back porch said, if you bring Rabbi Haber here, there's no way he's eating more than one or two foods. If he, I bet you $5,000 to his organization called Kesher that he's not eating more than, if he eats less than two foods, he's getting 5000 to his organization. If not, he loses it. And I ate more. So I lost the 5000 Again, I don't know what's going on. Zuki Jarada now walks me out. He says, Rabbi, don't worry. I give 5000 to your organization, Kesha. And also, any five students that you need help for them to get into yeshiva with tuition, you call me, I get them in. Okay. I don't know what's going on. Thank you, Zuki. That's wonderful. Fantastic. A couple of days later, a man reaches out to me who's been trying to reach me for two weeks. And he starts talking, and he's a person I was close to for years ago, but haven't spoken to him maybe in 15 years. And he says he's on very hard times and things are difficult and he's separated from his wife and he's having challenges in his home and his family. He says, and Rabbi, and he starts crying and he's a fully grown man. Rabbi, I have two sons that can't get into yeshiva because I can't afford their tuition. I tell the man, give me a minute. I'm going to call you back. Five minutes later, I call him back. I say, Call this number, Zuki Jarade. He's going to get your two children into yeshiva. 
Look what Hashem does. Look how he spins the dreidel. I don't know why I turned on to Paco. I don't know why I went into the man's house. I have no idea why I started eating random foods that I never saw before. And since when, you know, you may think in this that this happens in deal every summer. People make bets for $5,000 over a rabbi eating food. That's not a normal story. Why are they making this bet? Why are they making this deal? Why is he walking me out offering five kids to get into yeshiva? The whole thing doesn't make sense. But this man had an issue and Hashem had a plan. And Hashem knew that in order to help him, a sincere, good person who's going through a tough time, get his sons into yeshiva, somehow I'm eating foods that I never saw before. When you stop to see it, when the dreidel drops, that's when you could see Hashem's miracles. You know what's unique about the dreidel spinning? Is that you can't help it. That means if you try to put your hand and touch it and help it along, it doesn't work. You need to leave it completely up to the spinner. You spin and you leave go. That's how life is too. Hashem, you spin the dreidel and we watch how you make it land. And once it lands, we see your miracles all the time. Happy Hanukkah. Thank you, Rabbi Haber, for your tremendous, powerful words. Our next speaker is Rabbi Avi Slansky, all the way from Israel. I want to remind everyone to, to share this link right now. Share it to your friends, to your family, to your contacts about this amazing link that everyone can get inspired. As we, are right, as we are right at the beginning of Hanukkah, we can all have that, that jolt, that inspiration, so we can take that with us throughout the entire Hanukkah. 20time.com slash Live, 20time.com slash Live, or call in 718-298-2077, extension 46. As we know, Rabbi Avi Slansky has spoken, has spoken at previous stories to inspire events. He's a renowned author. He's a close uh, student of Rabbi Shraga Kalas from Israel. He's a great ground to call upon Rabbi Avi Slansky. As always, it's such a privilege and an honor to participate with Stories to Inspire as they spread stories, spread chizik, spread inspiration to the masses, and now a special event, covered in honor of Hanukkah. It was the last year of Rav Nassim Svi Finkel's life. And Baruch Hashem, I had the incredible merit of being in Eretz Yisrael, learning in the yeshiva that he headed, in Yeshiva Asmir, but most importantly, in spending Hanukkah there. And I had the foresight, thank God, to go and watch Harav Nassim Svi Finkel light Minoira. And it was an event. An event. A nightly event. It wasn't an event with cameras and millions of people. But it's indeed an event that the 20, 50, or 100 Bakram that would come each night to see, to each and every one, it left an impression that would truly remain with us forever. But one night it was a bit different. And the night began, as always, there of Nassim Svi, his body racked with pain, advanced stages of Parkinson's. Anyone who's seen him, seen pictures or videos, you could tell he wasn't able to sit still for, for one moment. He was a very tall person. And he lit Menaira, of course, in, a, in accordance with the most extreme stringencies, in the perfect place, which of course is low down, close to the ground. And he would make the bracha, and he bent down to light the first menaira, the first candle. And he sat there, and he held the candle by the wick, waiting for it to take light. For most of us, it takes a few seconds. But when your hand is shaking, and you're not really touching the wick the whole time, it takes so much longer. And he stood there, and his left hand was holding his right hand, as his right hand held the candle. And he would go, and he would hold it by the wick, and wait, and wait, and wait. 
And for all of us watching, it was almost like eternity. It was painful to watch as he sat there lighting one candle and then the next candle and then the next. Each and every one did not take a few seconds. It took close to a minute. And he finally finished the menorah. And he had a stringency that he lit two different menorahs. One at the doorway and one a little higher up at the doorway to the apartment. And then he went to the second menorah. And again, the process repeated itself. He bent down and he held the candle and he held his hand and he went to the first wick and he held it and he held it and he held it till the first candle took lit and the second and the third and so on. And he finally finished all the candles and he stood up with his face was beaming, an incredible smile. And he turned to go sit down and the custom always was that everyone would sing together Mausur. But as he turned, he looked back for a moment and he noticed one candle went out. One candle. Was he, Yaitse, did he fulfill the mitzvah? Of course. 100%. According to almost all opinions. But there's a beautiful stringency to relight it. And of course, a Talmud, a son, a grandson, someone went over and said, Rosh Hashiva, I'll light it for you. I'll do it. And he wouldn't hear of it. And he went back. And he took the candle again. And he bent down again. His body racked with pain. And he held his hand. And this is after doing this for minutes. The whole process was probably already over 10 minutes. And now again he bent down holding his hand with extreme care and caution to light that final candle. And then he stood up and went to his chair and sat down. And we all sang Mosur. And forever, that impression was left on everyone. The love of a mitzvah. And indeed, this is a picture that has went viral, as they say. Many have seen the picture of Nassim Svi bending down, holding one hand on the next and lighting the menorah. But maybe you didn't realize, maybe it was that night, that it wasn't just the first candle or the fifth, and it wasn't the first menorah or the second. But perhaps it was a time that he went back, that after the candle went out, he had, would not hear of anyone helping him. He went back to light a candle again, because that was his love for the mitzvah. So sometimes it might be difficult, and even if not, there's always a little bit of extra love that we can put into the mitzvah. And hopefully this year, as we light our own candles, as we light up the darkness, will put and inject a little bit of love from Amnas and Sfi inside of us, the true love for the mitzvah of lighting the menorah. Rabbi Slansky, for your tremendous words. Our next speaker is Rabbi Nachum Shiner, who is Rosh Kolo at Base Medrash Orachayim in Muncie, New York, 18 Forshe. And he does so much, so much tremendous work. He has such, he has such, he has such, he has such energy that, that he uses for Klai Yisrael. And he really gives us his all. And he's a great, great aunt's call upon Rabbi Nachum Shiner. The Blushava Rebbe, one of the great Hasidish leaders in pre-war Galicia, found himself in Bergen-Belsen, among many other Eden, in the concentration camps. Hanukkah was approaching. No oil, no wicks, no shamash. But at no expense did the Rebbe envision foregoing the opportunity to perform the mitzvah of Adlokas near Hanukkah. Ingeniously, he was able to put together a lecht, removing a thread from his striped uniform, a bit of shoe polish provided fuel. The word spread throughout the barracks that the Rebbe will be lighting Hanukkah lecht. Under the fear of death, 
Many creeped out and sneaked into the Rebbe's barrack not to miss this moment. The Rebbe lights the Shamash, Shamash, makes the bracha, the two brachas, with much kavana. And then pauses. After several long seconds, continues to recite the bracha, Shehechiyonu v'kiyemonu v'giyonu l'azman hazeh. One of the inmates present came over to the Rebbe and presented him with the following question. He said, I'm sure everybody had in their mind what was not much long ago. People, all of us sitting with their families, singing the Zmiris by the Hanukkah Lecht, enjoying traditional Hanukkah delicacies. In the present situation, everybody's scared for their life. No Ruchnias couldn't do any mitzvahs. No Gashmias. How could you make a bracha that we reach this time. The Rebbe looks at him and answers, You should know, I had the same question. How could you make a Shechiyonu that's accompanied with Simcha in such a situation. And that's the reason why after the first two brachas, I paused. I was unsure how to make the bracha shechiyanu b'simcha. To thank Hashem that we got to this time, this time when we're in the concentration camps. But then when I looked around and I saw all the Yidin, that risk their lives not to, mitzvah, not to miss the mitzvah. I say, thank you, Hashem. Shechionu v'kiyamonu that kept me alive to watch and see Am Yisrael. That's Moisa Nefesh t'bibakayim mitzvahs. This Hanukkah, let us concentrate How sincere are we? And to what extent are we willing to exert ourselves when it comes to davening, when it comes to learning, when it comes to perform mitzvahs to be done in a respectful way, in the right way it should be done. Wishing you all a Freilich and Hanukkah. Thank you, Rabbi Shiner, for your amazing words. We want to remind everyone, if you want to sponsor this event or any one of the speakers, 
or or future stories to inspire them, which inspires tens of thousands of people. You should reach out. Dedication opportunities, Zecher Nishma, so a loved one in memory of a loved one, for Shlema, for the speedy recovery of a close one, of a, of a loved one. Reach out at events at chazak.org. Email us at events at chazak.org. E V E N T S at C H A Z A Q dot G. Events at chazak.org. Or you can call. 718-285-9132, 718-285-9132. As we know, we had Rabbi Pesach Kron tonight, and now we're going to be having his tremendous son, Rabbi Eliezer Kron, who is a tremendous Moel speaker, author, and, and he does so much, so much, so much more. And it's a great, great honor to call upon Rabbi Eliezer Kron Shlita. Hi, this is Eliezer Kron, and I was asked to share an inspiring story about the Yantif of Hanukkah. There was once an eight-year-old boy by the name of Lior who learned and studied in the yeshiva of Shuvu. Shuvu is an organization that teaches Russians, girls, and Russian boys all about Torah and Yiddishkeit. And this boy, Lior, he lived in Akko, and he was in a Shuvu institution and was approaching the Yantif of Hanukkah. And his teacher, his Mora, explained to him, and the entire class, how the Yavanim did not let the Yidin keep Shabbos and Brismila and Rosh Chodesh. And she was stressing to them how important these mitzvos are, and they all ended up having the Hanukkah break. Well, it happened after the Hanukkah break that Lior did not come back to school, and which was normal. There were kids who didn't feel well. It was the winter, so it was cold, perhaps. And there were people that uh, were a little bit sick going around. So... They, uh, he didn't come back to school and she didn't think much of it. But he didn't come back a second day and a third day. And she asked the other students and they didn't know why he wasn't back. Where was he? She called his mother and said, is everything okay? And his mother said, the reason why Lior is not back in school is because of you. It's because of something that you said. And she was trying to think, what could it be? What did she say to him? Perhaps she heard his feelings and he was insulted and he didn't want to come back. And his mother said, no, what you said was that the Greeks are just like the Russians. And just like the Russians did not let us keep bris mila, so too the Greeks. And Lior came home and he demanded, he insisted, what is a bris mila? And we had to explain explained to him what a bris mila is, and he did not have a bris mila. And he said, I am not going back to school until I have a bris mila. And because of that, we have to, we have to send him back to school, can't stay home forever, and we had to arrange for a male to do a bris mila on him, and he just got out of the hospital yesterday, but he'll be back in school tomorrow, he's recuperating, and... He's going to have, he's going to be, he's going to be back in school, excited to continue his learning. And an amazing, amazing lesson from an eight-year-old boy. That is Mesiris Nefesh. And Mesiris Nefesh is the Midah of Hanukkah that we need to accept upon ourselves. The Hashmanoyim, they had Mesiris Nefesh. They realized that this is not something they could stand for. That Klal Yisrael was not being allowed to keep the Torah, to keep the mitzvahs. And some people might think, okay, fine, listen, this is the way the Goyim wanted, and there's nothing we could do, it's out of our control, there's no way we could beat them. Chashmanayim said, no, we're not going to take no for an answer, and we're going to fight, and we're going to be Meiser Nefesh, literally, to uphold the Torah. And everybody has their own personal Mesiris Nefesh that they need to give over. For some people, it's something small. For some people, it's something big. Everybody has something that is difficult for them, 
The Yantif of Chanukah is bringing out the best in all of us. We all have it inside of us. Everything is possible. Anything that we ever wanted to achieve in Gashmias, but we're focusing now on the Ruchnias and spirituality, is possible to attain. Chanukah is the time to give that extra push, to push ourselves to whatever it is, to whatever levels we would like to try to reach and to daven on Chanukah to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu helps us and assists us in reaching those levels of Kedusha, of Shmiras HaMitzvahs, of keeping the Torah and the Mitzvahs. May the light of Chanukah and the fire of Chanukah burn bright inside our homes and inside ourselves to help us reach those high, high levels and learn from this Lior. Lior means to me is light, which itself is connected to Chanukah. That we should all be able to raise our level of Kedusha and our Mercedes Nefesh and bring Mashiach Bimheir Biyameinu. Thank you, Rabbi Crowley, for your amazing words. Our next speaker is Rabbi Hanan Gordon, lives in Los Angeles, the West Coast, and uh, he always has this, he always has that he always has those tremendous insights which he gives over to Claudia Yisrael, and it is a great great honor to call upon Rabbi Hanan Gordon. First and foremost, uh, my friends, Paiskin Bichvarachsania to our our host, the A Team in the uh, Torah world today. Firstly, my dear friend Daniel Aguilar from the stories to inspire Nasanal, the Tanis, the talisman, of course, Robbie and gang over at Chazak and of course, Torah anytime.com. So as a speaker, there's two cardinal rules that one should always adhere to. Number one is Chazal, Chazal said, you got to, if you are sincere and authentic, and if the words come from your heart, the chances are that will touch the hearts and souls of your listener. And secondly, if you're going to tell a story, the best kind of stories are those that are autobiographical, that you were there, that you have a firsthand experience. Safe to say, we can check off both those boxes uh, in what I'd like to share with you today. Two weeks ago, I had the very uh, big, the honor and, and the pleasure and the privilege of being, if you will, the scholar in residence of a program, a group of people that went uh, to the Tony Robbins famous Release the Power Within, the first time that Tony Robbins. Um, has appeared since COVID-19 alive uh, on stage over in uh, <clears throat> Florida. This is arguably the best-known self-help uh, potential coach, coach person in the secular world. And as a speaker and as someone who's involved in a lot of co- uh, conferences and seminars, uh, it, for me, this is an, a terrific experience to watch the proverbial master uh, in action. I left, my friends, with uh, thoughts that I want to share with you, which are 100% and clearly related to Hanukkah, the menorah that we're going to light on Sunday. So he's a master, master in terms of his presentation. It was excellent. He seemed sincere. The choreography was terrific. The music, everything down to a T. A lot of the content that really connects and resonates, no surprising to any of you, has a Torah source to it. He speaks about gratitude. Again, we all wake up in the morning. The first thing is a modiani. He talks about the power of the mind, again, very much within the line of tracht good, sein good, which is the underlying principle behind his famous hot fire walk. I found myself walking on hot coal uh, the evening of the first night, navigating through various healthy ways to, to eat, exercise. 
And then we were, we were sort of waiting for this crescendo. And while there's no question, Tony seems to be a God-centered human being. And he did cite Dr. Viktor Frankl, whose thesis in man's, in man's search for meaning is really, if there's a why, then we can always figure out the how. Meaning if there's a why we're in this world, if we know what the purpose of this journey called life is, we will always have a how, ways to navigate through the vicissitudes of this journey called life. But I, I got a visceral sense when the proverbial curtain came down <clears throat> that people felt that, that they wanted more. If you drill down, that's the experience of a part of the human psyche that was not tapped into. The body was tapped into the potential, ways to actualize that, that potential. But when people walk out of the hall and the best thing they can sort of do is either purchase some Tony Robbins paraphernalia or sign up for the next course, it leaves a person wanting. The reason, my friends, I believe is that the other part of the human psyche, the neshama, is, is looking for that transcendental experience. It's looking for ultimately the purpose in this world. And while it's wonderful to be successful in business, and he does underscore the importance of relationships, the notion of not focusing on flexing on spiritual muscles was conspicuous in its absence, which really is what Hanukkah is all about. Because if this is the very best in best guru, self-help person on planet Earth <clears throat> within the secular world, it's clear why we are living in a world <clears throat> which is not God-centered. <clears throat> it's clear uh, that people have a one-dimensional view of the world, which at the end of the day leaves a lot of people with a, a sense of wanting and a sense of, of, of emptiness, which is really not the, the ability of not filling one's spiritual needs sense of quest for meaning, the sense of connection to the Almighty himself. What was missing really was the proverbial light or what the light symbolizes on Hanukkah. Now, the Hanukkah story, we note that we don't hand out swords. That wasn't the war we won. The war that, was, that we won on Hanukkah was a spiritual war. And candles represent the neshama. A flame, if you look at the nature of a flame, a flame will always drive its light up. We're always looking to be the greatest people we can, do, we can be from a spiritual perspective, in terms of our character, in terms of the way we treat other people and our relationship with God, a dimension that's, that's not touched in certainly uh, the forum that I experienced uh, at Tony Robbins. And it's not by chance that, th that there's a tremendous quest to try and find out what's the GPS, why we're in this world. There were 10,000 people in the convention hall. I don't think it's by chance that they were sold out very, very quickly. People are looking for meaning. People are looking for substance. People are looking for direction in a world that's very dark uh, and very cold. When we light the menorah on a Sunday night, we should have a deep sense of gratitude that we, the Jewish people, focus on the neshama. We, we are not focused so much on the holiness of beauty, but more on the beauty of holiness. And the factor that you should keep in mind with respect to Hanukkah is it's, it's all about presume nisa. It's all about advertising, so to speak, to the world at large, that we have a role to play as an or, as a light 
to the Goyim, to the, the nations of the world. And if we take that to heart, and if we remember that no one can really reach the potential in this world without factoring the fact that we have a part of a Kaddish Baruch himself, so to speak, within us, it's, it will bode well for a beautiful Hanukkah. And Be'ez Hashem, if we can rem- remember that we have a, a, a reason and a rhyme that's not within the beautiful spiral-bound books of the Tony Robbins workshop as to why we're in this world. We should light the menorah with Simcha, with the tremendous Akaratzotov, that we, we have the unique Yiddish Neshama, which a very, with 0.02% of the world population has. And with those things in mind, and imparting those message to the world at large, at large the next time we light the menorah, it should be in the base of Megdash, which should we should see soon in our times. Thank you, Rabbi Gordon, for your amazing words. I want to remind everyone to go to storiestoinspire.org for amazing articles, short clips, and 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 the website is 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 so full with inspiration and excitement. Everyone go to storiestoinspire.org. You will be you will be mesmerized. It's a great great honor to call upon our next speaker, Rabbi Daniel Gladstein, tremendous tremendous speaker, author. He's like every three four months he's putting out his farm and inspires thousands of people every day. He's he's he's, he's recording Shiram and it's a great great honor to call upon Rabbi Rabbi Daniel Gladstein. The Yom Tov of Hanukkah is different than Purim. Purim we celebrate physically with Mishta Simcha. Hanukkah. We celebrate We celebrate by thanking Hashem. But thanking Hashem is so important, so basic, it's so fundamental, that the Rambam says that the mitzvah of lying the Ner Chanukah is chaviva hiyad ma'od, is so beloved, is so endearing. Because this is the mitzvah with which we fulfill the main objective of our existence. The main ex- objective of our, of our existence is to thank HaKadosh Baruch Hu. This is a story that I find exceptionally powerful and meaningful. I saw this story in uh, Rabbi Yitzchak Kizigar's book, Powerful Moments. There was a man by the name of Usher, and he had a number of daughters over the age of 28 who he was struggling to marry off. And it really occupied a lot of his time, and it was starting to wear him down. And Usher had a chavrusa who... His daughter got engaged rather quickly, and uh, Usher's Chavrusa had to buy his daughter an apartment in Yushalayim, which could be extremely expensive. And he needed to get an Arev, a co-signer, on the apartment, and Usher graciously agreed to be the guarantor for this apartment. However, when time came, his uh, Chavrusa could not uh, make good on his responsibility. He couldn't pay up the monthly payments, and the, the the responsibility fell on Usher, and Usher certainly could not pay, and the bank actually came and took away Usher's home. So here he is, he has a number of daughters of marriageable age, they're getting older, and to add insult to injury, his home was taken away, and he was down in the dumps, and he was really uh, and he was really broken, and he didn't know what to do. So a friend of his told him, why don't you go speak to the Gareb of the Beis Yisrael? And Usher said, okay, he has nothing to lose. He speaks to the Ger Rebbe. And the Ger Rebbe says, hey, Usher, do you daven? He says, Rebbe, what do you think I do? 
That's what I do the whole day. I dive into Hashem. Please, Hashem, help me marry off my daughters. Help me get out of financial debt. The Gary Rebbe said, but do you daven? He says, Rebbe, I just told you that, that I don't stop davening the whole day. All throughout the day, all I do is I daven to Hashem. Usher, do you daven? And Usher said, Rebbe, am I missing something? And the Rebbe says, davening is not asking Hashem for what you need. Davening is thanking Hashem for what you have. Do you thank Hashem for all the blessings He's given to you? Conversation over. Usher was very confused. <laughs> he davens, he asks Hashem, but does he thank Hashem? Davening is thanking Hashem. And what does he have to thank Hashem for? And he tells this to a friend of his, and his friend said, well, you know, the Rebbe has a very good point. You have clothing, you're alive, your heart is working, your lungs are, are operating, you could see, you could hear, you could talk, you could think, your memory is functioning. For your body to function, trillions of processes have to be going right, and they always are. So do you ever stop and thank Hashem for these things? And Asher realized that there was a lot more that he has in his life to thank Hashem about than he realized. And he made a list for himself. And Asher recognized that the things that the Rebbe Hashem was giving him far, infinitely outweighed those things that he was missing. And the Rebbe had told Asher a very important point. The Rebbe told Asher, Okay, it's nice that you ask Hashem. The main part of davening needs to be thanking Hashem. And the Rebbe gave over to Asher a secret. And the secret is, tefillah should be 60% thanking, 40% asking. That was the ratio and the formula the basis of the Rebbe gave over to Asher. And Asher realized that perhaps this formula that the basis of told him has a very strong source, and that is in Tehillim, in Hallel, that we're going to be saying every single day of Hanukkah. Yeah, we ask Hashem, Ana Hashem Hoishiana, Ana Hashem Hoishiana, Ana Hashem Atzlichana. But, how many times do we say Hoidu? Hoidu Lashem Kitov Kilam Chastai, Hoidu Lashem Kitov Kilam Chastai, Hoidu Lashem Kitov Kilam Chastai, Thank you Hashem Kilam Chastai, Ana, 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 and another two Hoidu. Out of the ten Verses, six Hoidus, four Ana Hashem. Perhaps this is the basis for the ratio. 60% thanks, 40% asking. The Yom Tif of Chanukah is L'Hoidus Halal. Yes, we have a very long Shema Kailenu. We have a very long list of things that we ask Hashem for. But the main objective of Tefillah, the main objective of life, is thanking HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The formula is 60-40. 60% Lahaydais, 40% Lavakesh. And from Hanukkah, the Yom Tov of thanking Hashem, let us take that as a lesson for the whole year, that our main focus should be thanking Hashem for what we have, not asking for what we don't. Wishing everyone a Freilich and Hanukkah. Thank you, Rabbi Glassie, for your amazing words. Our next speaker is Mr. Sh- is Mr. Srili Shane. He has some of the most viral videos he puts out every single week. It's called Two Minutes for Torah. If you look it up, you will be you will you will definitely you will definitely jump on the bandwagon as, as thousands of people have already. Two minutes for Torah with Srili Sh- with Srili Shane. You'll be mesmerized. So I call it out. called Mr. Srili Shane. In Al Hanisim, we say by Yamim Haheim. Just like there were miracles in those days, Basman Hazeh, there are miracles now as well.
As a child of World War II and all the atrocities that happened and losing so many family members in World War II, Barry decided along with his wife that they're not going to let their three children know anything about their Jewish identity. They don't want them to relive that pain and will keep this a secret. When their oldest child turned 13, Barry told his son, we're going to go to the city, anything you want to buy, I'm going to buy you for your birthday present. And ironically, out of all the things that the son saw, electronics and devices, his eye caught his attention to a Judaica store window where he saw a wooden menorah and he said, Dad, I want that. His father, trying to keep his word, went into the store. The seller said, this is not really something I was selling, it's part of the display, but as two good Jews, they haggled over the price for a bit and they agreed on a number and the father purchased the wooden menorah for his son. The son took it home and was playing with it and unfortunately it fell on the floor and broke. The father was dismayed, tried to help his son put it together when a little paper fell out from inside the menorah. He unrolled it and read, This is the creator of the menorah. I am building this because I want to be able to fulfill the mitzvah of menorah during World War II. I don't know if I'm going to survive. Everybody around me is being killed and I may not even light the second light of Hanukkah because I may not survive till tomorrow. So I ask that whoever it is that is reading this and whoever it is that is using this menorah, please have in mind my soul and the souls of my family members that it should be in our merit that this menorah is being lit. And it was signed by Barry's own father. Barry lost his composure. He fainted. They brought him to. And obviously, there was a lot of thinking that needed to be done. And with a matter of time, the whole family embraced their Jewish identity again and celebrated their Jewish heritage that their grandparents risked their life to keep. Something to keep in mind for all of us and where we come from, and I wish you all an enjoyable Hanukkah. Thank you so much for your tremendous words. Our next speaker is Rameyer Simcha Sperling, who, who, just, who just embodies excitement for, Yidd- for Yiddishkeit, for spreading Torah, and it's our great, great honor to, for, for, to call upon. Who, um, he lives in Eretz Yisrael right now, Rabbi Mayor Simcha Sperling. I would like to start off by just giving a tremendous thank you to the organization called Chazak, which I'm sure you're all aware of all the amazing things that they do. The organization, I'm going to call it Stories to Inspire, which literally is an inspiration just to talk about, and all the amazing work that they do. And obviously, last but definitely not least, Torah Anytime, all of these three amazing, tremendous organizations that really all of us know a tremendous amount about. So really, we don't have to talk about it. So we won't. (laughs) But I do want to thank all of them for hosting uh, this event you know, this getting ready before Hanukkah with stories to inspire and things that really inspire us. There, you know, there are so many amazing people and amazing stories and so many awesome things that go around that really give us chizuk and give us inspiration and help many people go on with their day. You know, we live in times that are unfortunately dark. And in order for certain people, maybe not you, but certain people to survive and to move around and to go and to steig and to live. They need the chizuk. They need the chizuk. They need the inspiration. So inspiration, as we know, doesn't change us. doesn't really change our lives. It just helps us continue. For some of us, if we apply it correctly and we make changes, so we end up changing our life. But the stories and the inspiration and the chizuk just helps us go weiter. And it's just an amazing thing. So therefore, we all have to have a, a big akar satayif to chazak, stories to inspire, and Torah anytime. So this is going to be a little bit unique in... It's not really a story. I mean, it is a story, obviously, but it's not the sh- this little 
Shira is not going to be a story oriented. It's going to be a very short story with a lesson and a famous idea that we all know. I think I actually did this on Torah anytime years ago. So um, it could be that you know it already, but hey, Chazara is the Iker, as we always like to say. So the story goes like this, the story goes like this, and it should inspire you. So let me know if it inspires you. The story goes like this. There was a guy who walked into shul. I don't know if he walked, actually. <laughs> it could be he limped into shul, and he made a massive kiddush for the congregation, for his community. And they asked him, what, what is, uh, what's the kiddush? What happened? And he said, what happened? <laughs> a few weeks ago, I got hit by a car walking to shul. I crossed that big road over there, and I got hit by a car, and Baruch Hashem, I made it. You know, not everybody makes it through car accidents and, you know, through getting hit by a car. And the way the car hit me was, you know, it could have been a lot worse than it was, and Baruch Hashem, I survived, and I am well, I'm healthy, and therefore I am making a Kiddush for everybody. And it was a lavish, it was a Gishmak Kiddush, let's just say. Um, and everybody was like, you know, very thankful and for saving him. It's no small thing when a person comes out of these type of situations. Hopefully not many of us know about it. But uh, yeah, so he made a Kiddush and everybody enjoyed. The next week, the next week somebody came and uh, made a Kiddush also for the show for the community. And they said, what's this Kiddush for? Like, what's going on here? Like everybody's making Kiddush all of a sudden every week. He said that this Kiddush is to give a tremendous amount of Akara Satov to Hashem because I have been walking on that very same block that Pliny uh, got hit by the car and made the Kiddush last week. And for the past 20 years, I didn't get hit by a car. I never got hit by a car. So I'm making the Kiddush this week to thank Hashem for the, all those years that I've been safe and all those years that things have been okay for me. I'm saying the same road, he, he was crossing the same road, 20 years, 20 years, never got hit by a car. And therefore, I want to thank HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And uh, yeah, so here's the Kiddush. Everybody say, drink away. He bought a lot of water. Because the alcohol thing, it's uh, controversial. Should you, shouldn't you? The kids are looking. Okay. So the kids are, he made a beautiful Kiddush. That's the story. Short story, great lesson. We have to thank Hashem for the natural things and for all the things that didn't happen to us that were bad, you know. But I think this is very uh, exclusive for Hanukkah because... We all know the famous Beis Kasha, that why do we celebrate Hanukkah for eight nights if that wasn't the nace? They found a jug of oil that was able to last for one night, and uh, that, that wasn't the nace, right? That We found it. Works. Great. So all the days after that is the nace. Why would Chazal make a day that was uh, superfluous? Because <laughs> there was no nace there. They're not just coming to make more days to get more presents for those of you who get presents. What's the shot? So there are many answers. There are hundreds of answers. There are probably thousands of answers. But the answer that I love, and I'm sure some of you know this already because you heard it previously. I've said this before. But the answer is, I mean, one of the answers is that why should oil burn? <laughs> what? Oil? Liquid? Why in the world does oil burn? What do you mean? Because nature. Who, who made nature? Who made nature? Who said that everything should just work on repeat? Every day, the sun rises, this happens, that happens. Why should it just work on repeat? Imagine it worked on shuffle. <laughs> the moon came up, the sun went this way. That'd be crazy. But who made Mother Nature? Who made it work this way? That every single day, there's a nature, there's a natural world that oil burns. That the sun rises, that we could see, we could hear, we could walk, we could talk. Our bodies are waterproof. You know what I'm talking about? Imagine you walk out of your shower every time waterlogged. Honey. Could you get that? You know, you're trying to walk. That would be ridiculous. That would be crazy. And yet, there are so many holes in our body, and we're waterproof. 
Try to put a towel in water for two seconds, see what happens. Take a 50-minute shower after you pay the water bill and walk out and see what happens. Nothing, you're good. Even if you don't have a towel, you'll drive after five minutes. Amazing, fascinating. Who did that? Who made that nace? Who made the nace that oil burns? Why should oil burn? So Chazal had an excuse to add a day of the natural world. The natural world. Hanukkah is, an, is a miracle, is a nace of obviously all the different things that occurred and also that the nature is that oil burns. Right? We know from the famous Gemara in Tainas, I think it was with Hanida ben Daisa's daughter, I think, that uh, she put vinegar or something in there and they lit it and, and the father and, and Khalid Mendes said, who, the one who said that oil burns will say that vinegar burns. And Taka burnt for many, many hours. HaKadosh Baruch who controls nature. HaKadosh Baruch who set the world up a certain way. And that itself is a nice that many of us do not appreciate. I mean, how many of you, who are women obviously, gave birth to children and the baby's healthy? Did you think about that? Did you thank Hashem for that? Of course we did. What do I mean years ago? What about today? How many of you thank Hashem for all the things that didn't happen to you, Beth? The fact that you don't uh, have strep now, that you don't have a bloody nose, huh? that you don't, you're not sick with corona right now, you're not sick with this, or you're not sick with that, or you're not in the hospital, you're not in the, you have a roof over your head, you have a little bit of money to, to get bread on the table, or you have a lot of money to give nicer money. What? Who, who, I'm saying, who, who makes that happen? The natural world. Basically, the story of this man who made the Kiddush appreciating that for 20 years, 20 years, he didn't get hit by a car. When did that ha- That happened only after the other guy got hit, and it reminded him, we don't need those type of reminders, or at least let's not have those type of reminders. Let's remember now. Let's remind us of Mirza Shem Hanukkah is coming up, and as we light the menorah, as we have all of our tefillahs and all of our davening and all of our, the same thing as tefillahs and davening, whatever, and all our, all our stuff. Let's try to also remember, wow, Hashem, I want to go through a, little, a list of all the natural things. My hands work. My feet work. I'm strong. I can move around. I could talk. You could hear the vocal cords. Your hearing works my sight. I have a roof. I have a drink. Let's thank Hashem for the natural stuff, Rabbi Say, and realize that this story opens up a world to us. Like, whoa, yes, that's so true. Why should we wait till we get the wake-up call to appreciate life? So Rabbi said, with this, I'm going to end. Thank you. For <laughs> I'm going to end, and I just want to say that we should all have Afrael and Hanukkah, but we should all utilize this gift that we have. This gift of Akaras Satev before, before things go bad or maybe not the way we want it to go or whatever. Just let's try to make it work. Let's try to realize and tell HaKadosh Baruch Hu, thank you so much for 20 years that I'm able to talk. For 20 years that I have teeth and then my teeth didn't fall out. Imagine teeth just falling out all day. That would be awkward. But there are so many things in life, Rabbi Say. All, all jokes aside, there are so many things in life that we need to appreciate that we don't appreciate because it's so normal. It's so everybody has that. So why, why should I be thankful if everyone has it? That's, that's a flawed argument. Just because everyone has it doesn't mean everyone shouldn't be thankful. Yes, everyone should be thankful. If somebody went to yeshiva and gave every single average a thousand dollars or a million dollars, yeah, everyone. Would, why should I be thankful if the, if the whole island got the money? Well, I'm saying I should be thankful. Well, yeah, you should be thankful. So we all have to be thankful for all those natural things. So Rabbi Yisrael, let's have our freilich and Hanukkah. As we light those candles, let's thank HaKadosh Baruch Let's dedicate literally 10 seconds, okay? 20 seconds. Make a little list. Put it under your menuire. And say, thank you, Hashem, that for the past 20 years, for the past 10 years, for the past 5 years, for the past this, for the past that. And we'll try to open up our lives a little bit, open up our minds a little bit, and realize how much HaKadosh Baruch does for us. Have a wonderful Hanukkah, Rabbi Yisrael. Thank you, Rabbi Sperling. Our next speaker is... 
Rabbi Yaakov Rahimi, the author of Mishnah Berurah Tiferet. He, he, he's, he's, uh, he's one of the Rebbeim in the, J, in the, in the in Chazak's J-Wave programs. And, and he really inspires thousands of people throughout the entire world. It's a great article upon Rabbi Yaakov Rahimi. Thank you, Stories to Inspire. Thank you, Chazak. Thank you, Torah Anytime. Thank you, the Talisman over here recording this. I have to tell all the listeners, before I tell you the story on Hanukkah officially, I first have to tell you where we are. We are in a store called Judaica Plaza in Lakewood. And the reason why we're recording here, there's toys here too and Sfarim, and the reason why we're here is because really I wasn't really going to do this because I have to get the camera and then the memory card and drop it off. So I was going to skip this part, uh, this event, although it's a big schut and a big merit to record even one minute for stories to inspire. But this one I was about to pass. But suddenly, as I'm in Judaica Plaza, me and the talisman meet, and he tells me, hey, I have a camera in the car, let's do it right now. So I think this is tremendous, Santa Deshmaya and Ashgacha brothers, that we met, and now we're able to record this thing. And Bezat Hashem, maybe, just maybe, somebody who's listening will hopefully, Bezat Hashem, get inspired. We're about to enter the days of Chanukah. Chanukah is known to represent that there is always, always light at the end of the tunnel. The Chashmanaim were going through Gehenom, they were going through such pain fighting the culture of the world. Try to put yourself in the situation of the Chashmanaim, how do you say Chashmanaim in English? The Maccabees. Try to put yourself in their times. The whole world, the whole culture is telling you, stop with God, stop with Hashem, don't keep Shabbat, enough of this nonsense, God created the world, God did not create the world, you have to serve Him, not serve Him. Come, enjoy the sports, enjoy the entertainment, enjoy all the movies, whatever plays they had back then. In fact, the Midrash says that the Yevanim, the Greeks, specifically built a state right next to Yerushalayim, right next to Jerusalem. Why? Let them build it in Tel Aviv or the north of Israel. Why right next to Yerushalayim? Because the Yevanim knew. You know how you influence the youth that learned Torah in Yerushalayim? That's where all the yeshivot were. You know how you get the youth? If you build a huge stadium, though now we have gladiators and entertainment, and slowly and slowly you can be able to influence the youth that are learning in yeshiva in Yerushalayim. You're going to pull them out and make them into not religious Jews and leave a Kadosh Baruch Hu unfortunately. And that's what happened in the times of Hanukkah. The, a lot of Jews back then unfortunately left Hashem and fought the Hashemanaim. So can you imagine a small part of the Jewish people were still fighting strong for Hashem. That was the family of the Hashemanaim, but they fought. They did not give in to the culture. They fought and they fought and they fought hard and they won because there's always light at the end of the tunnel. When you stick to the truth, when you stick to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, a person always wins no matter what times he's living in. That's the lesson of Hanukkah. When you stick to Hashem, when you fight for truth, when you do Torah and Mitzvot, especially when times are hard, no matter what, that person, that family, that community will eventually win and get closer and closer to Kadosh Baruch Hu. There's always a light at the end of the tunnel. I want to share with you a story. It's a little bit of a touchy story about a person who unfortunately, this, uh, this story was said over by Bitzchik Fangel. Bitzchik Fangel is one of the most popular Rabbanim, uh, Kiev, uh, uh, Rabbanim in the debut organization. He said, I love listening to him. He makes me very happy. He says good jokes. He puts me in a good mood. I enjoy listening to him. He said over a tremendous story. He said one time he had a seminar in Elat. Elat is the south of Israel, south, the south part of Israel. It's a machloket if Elat is part of Israel or not. It's a whole machloket uh, debating Allah by itself. But he went to give a seminar in Elat. Okay, after he speaks at the seminar, wherever the hotel was, he with his wife, he says, let's go to the boardwalk, because it was during the winter time, so it's empty, so you're able to watch your eyes. So he says, let's go to the boardwalk, I'll walk with my wife, you know, we'll chill together. They park by the boardwalk by Elat. He starts walking and he said it was a very windy day. 
It was during the winter, it was a windy day. He says the scenery was so nice, the waves were so nice, the whole, the whole situation was nice. He said, let me record a video. Rabbi Fanga many times, he records a video with his phone. His wife holds the phone for him, and then he records, he shoots like a two-minute video. So he told his wife, hey, look at the scenery, the beach, the waves, it's so beautiful, the sand. Let's shoot a nice, inspirational video. His wife says, no problem, they take out the phone. And then he starts saying all his divret Torah. But while he's saying divret Torah and his wife is recording, the phone falls. Okay, you have to start over again. He starts over again while he's saying it. A wind comes and his yarmulke falls out in the middle of the speech. So you have to start over the video again. And then another thing happened, another thing happened. And he tells us, I don't know what it is. We're trying to shoot a video again and again. And two minutes into the clip, suddenly something has to happen. A mistake happened, a takala happens. And then we have to restart the video again and again and again. Eventually, a bit like fine. Told us if I give up, let's go back to the car. We're going back home. And he lives in Yerushalayim. And that's what he did. As he's driving back home, unfortunately, he couldn't shoot his video. He gets a call from the head of Yidabut, the organization Yidabut. He gets a call. He tells him, Are you in a lot? He asks Yitzchak Fanga, Are you in a lot by any chance? He says, Yes. Were you by the boardwalk at this and this time? He says, What? Are you keeping tabs on me? How do you know where I am? He says, You remember, Fanga, you know what just happened. I just got a phone call from a girl, from a teenage girl. You're not going to believe what you told me. Shocking, shocking things. Rabbi listen to this tremendous story and listen to how Hashem watches every person and every moment of his life. Hashem always has everything calculated for them. Hashem has the cheshbon for every moment of your life. A girl calls up the head of Yidabut and she tells him, I got to tell you something. I was about to commit suicide. This is a non-religious girl that had a very hard life. She said, today I'm giving up, learning I'm destroying my life, done, I'm ending my life. She goes to the beach in Alat. Now remember, it was during the winter, so it's empty. No one is in Alat in the winter. It's, you know, it's windy, no one is there. Alat is a vacation town, so in the winter no one is there. She went to the beach, she goes to the sand. She dug a hole in the ground to bury herself. She lay, this girl said over to Yidabut, she lays inside the spot that she buried by the sand. She has the, 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 the pills, the box of pills in her hands. And she just laid there and thinking about her life, thinking about her life. She says as she was laying there, she started hearing a voice that she recognizes again and again, trying to start over a speech. She picks her head up. Who does she see? She saw Rebitzchak Fangel moments ago when he was trying to say over his clip that didn't work because the wind came, because the phone fell. As he was, each, as he was trying to say over the clip of the Divret Torah and every time a mistake happened, she was listening to the rabbi that she recognized his voice from online watching Hidabut. So she told herself, wow. I'm about to take away my life and Hashem sends me one of my most favorite rabbis right here and I'm able to hear his voice and you see him again trying to serve the Torah she took that as a sign that Hashem is telling her hold on, hold on, don't go don't go. I'm here with you. Look, I sent you one of the most popular, charismatic, best rabbis that you love right in back of you on top of the deck where you're trying to commit suicide. So she called the beat the boot right away. Uh, but this is a tremendous story. Rabbi's like Fanga sitting there trying to record his wife. Nebuch is holding the phone and it falls and the wind comes. He's getting frustrated. Why isn't the clip working? And he's starting again and again. But you know why Hashem made it that the wind comes and blows his yarmulke away? You know why Hashem made it that the, keep up, that the phone falls? Because Hashem wanted him to stay longer and longer and longer so the girl over there on the sand Chas Hashem taking away her life Chas Shalom, was going to be able to hear him again and again and again you thought Hashem sent the to that specific spot and Allah on the boardwalk for nothing everything is calculated by Kadosh Baruch Hu. no matter where a person is holding in life no matter where you are Hashem is always holding on to you there's always a light at the end of the tunnel why? because Hashem has everything calculated hold on strong believe in Hashem fight for Hashem 
Hashem. Keep Torah and mitzvot and push more and more the darkness away through the light. Peretzitzit, putting on tefillin, lighting the Shabbat candles, more mitzvot and Shabbat, more Torah, more inspiration, more and more and more and more. You're pushing away the darkness. Stick to Hashem and Bezat Hashem Hashem come. Thank you for listening and thank you for the talisman for recording. Thank you, Rabbi Rahimi, for your amazing words. Our next speaker is Rabbi Shai Tahan. As we know, Rabbi Tahan is, 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 is the head of a base Horah, author of, 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 of Sfarim, so many, so many amazing shiurim and short clips. And, and uh, he really answers Shilas for so many people, and he's really a tremendous light for Kla Yisrael. So, grant to call upon Rabbi Shai Tahan. We like to first start with the host of this event, and that is the Chazak organization and stories to inspire. Thank you for having me, and thank you all for coming to listen to the words to inspire our holiday of Hanukkah. We'd like to start with a story that Chazal tell us in the Midrash, Bereshit Rabbah. The story was about at the time that when the Romans came to conquer and destroy Beit HaMikdash Hashani. At that time, there was a man, says the Midrash, which his name was Yosef Meshita. And the story goes as follows. The Romans were scared to get into Beit HaMikdash because they knew Beit HaMikdash is such a holy place. Whoever tried to enter and do anything inside will get punished harshly. So they said, let the Jews themselves get in and enter and take out all these wonderful kelim utensils of the Beit HaMikdash like the Shulchan, the Aron, the Menorah, the Kuvim, which some of them were made of gold and some of them were coated with gold. So the Romans wanted all those utensils, but they were scared to get inside and bring them out. So as always, the technique is an old technique, that whenever you need to do something, you take the Jews to do it for you, just like they did in the Holocaust, when they wanted to build or dig graves, they would take the, the Jews to do that for them. And therefore, over here, they announced and they said, who wants to come and take out the utensils of Beit HaMikdash and bring them out to us? And we'll reward the person that will go in by the fact that we'll give him the very first utensil he'll take out. There was one person that was not very religious, as the story goes, his name was, was Yosef Meshita, and he decided he'll go in, he'll take something, he'll make it big, why not? These things that are made out of gold, let him take something. He went in, and he took nothing else than the menorah. The menorah was totally gold. It was miksha zahav. It was made out of total 100% gold. And therefore, when he comes out, the Romans look at it, and they said, no, that you can't have. The words they said is this is not something that a person should use a person should use something else that's not for a hediot a regular person should be using such a fancy menorah that's not correct, that's not right that's what they said and therefore they said to him go enter again and take something else this you can't have he refused, he said no, no more it's enough that I angered my my God, one time, the creator of the world, I angered him by the fact I took out the menorah, I'm not going inside again. 
I'm not doing that. So what did they do? They tried to convince him in different ways, nothing worked. In the end, they stretched him on a piece of wood and they started sewing parts of his body, slowly, slowly torturing him to death while he was screaming, Vaili shi'ichasti lebori, vaili shi'ichasti lebori. Oi, that I made the Ribono Shel Olam, the creator of the world, angry. That was not something I should have made. And he repented his bad actions that he did. He would not go again. Now, the understanding in the Mefarshim is the following, that really in the beginning he wanted to go in to take something that's worth a lot as the gold. It was probably, since he was full of gold, probably the most precious thing. And when he came outside, he changed his mind. And there's different Mefarshim explaining how did and why did Yosef Meshita change his mind so quickly. In the beginning, he was willing to go just for the sake of money and make a little bit money out of the action he'll do. And then when he comes, go, goes outside, he's willing already to give up his life and he's willing to be tortured to death and not go in again. What have happened? What was the big change? Well, there's different Mephoshim say different things, but I wanted to say my own understanding over here. And that is, at the time of the Yevanim, it was known that the, the, the fight of the Yevanim and Amisrael was over the right way of religion. The Yevanim wanted to change the way the Jews had the tradition throughout the years and throughout generations. And there were many people that they took with them. They were called Mityevanim. They're becoming Greeks with the Greeks' ideas, uh, Greek theologies and ideas that are new to Judaism. They're different. That is something that the Hashemunayim fought with all their might. That was, the, that was the main theme of Hanukkah, fighting the new religion. And therefore, on the time of the Romans, I think that's what Yosef Mashita wanted to do. He wanted to take the menorah because the menorah represents in the light, the light of Torah. Torah represented by the menorah, as the Mephashim tell us. And it has to be a pure light. And Yosef Meshita took out the menorah, not because he wanted to make money, but rather he wanted to reform Judaism. He wanted to make a new way of understanding. And with that, he would take the menorah and relight it the way he wanted. It's a parable to what the Torah really comes to teach us, and that, that it has to be pure, exactly the way we received it, in Hal Sinai throughout generations. Yosef Meshita changed that. But then it hit him and it striked him when the Romans told him that's not something that a idiot should be using, not something that a regular person should be using. In other words, he understood that the message is not an independent individual could change what the Torah was given to us. This that was given throughout generation in a mesorah, in a, in a very precise way of how Kadosh Baruch Hu wanted us to keep the Torah and the mitzvot could not be changed by a random person that decides to change it. And therefore, he would not go in again because he understand, it striked him that that is the message that the Evanim really, although they didn't mean it, but that it was their words. And he would not go again and he was, he was willing to sacrifice himself for the truth. And that's what the Greeks were fighting at the time of the Hashmonaim. They were fighting to change the Torah, the light of Torah, the shine of Torah, the truth of Torah. 
to change the way it's authentically given by HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And just do it a little bit less. Do it with Tum'ah. Do it a little bit different. On that, the Choshmoneim fought with all their might. Torah has to be authentic the way we received it. And that is the fight today as well. We have many sects in Judaism. We have reforms. And we have those that are conservatives. Each one tries to change a little bit. In America, it's a big sickness in many, many cities. In Israel, now they're trying to change the way Judaism, Judaism works and was given to us and is conducted in so many different ways. In the Kotel now, there's a very strong fight to change how the Kotel was always conducted, that men should be on one side, ladies on the other side, it should be holy. Now they're trying to make it more reform. This fight of Hanukkah lasts until today. We need to know that this menorah that Yosef Meshita took in order to change the Torah should be the message to us when we light the Nerot Hanukkah that person should just not make the action, that it should be exterior without feeling it and bringing it into the heart, making it interior, inside us, that we should understand the what? And when you light the menorah, is in order to keep the Torah pure, keep the mitzvot the way they were given to us, not change. That is the message of this story, and that is the message of the menorah and the lights that light so purely and so beautifully on Hanukkah. Thank you, Rabbi Tahan, for your amazing words. Our next speaker is Rabbi Daniel Koren, who is one of the Rabbanim of 18 Forshe. And he inspires so many people every single day, every single night. It's a great, great honor to call upon Rabbi Daniel Koren. Special video for Chazak. This goes back many years, but it's fresh in my mind because Torah is supposed to be fresh. We know Chazal say. It should be Chadoshim. You Chadoshim. And especially Chanukah. You look in the Soydas of Chanukah. You look in the Bnei Saschal. You look in all this Chasidish Svarim. All the Holy Svarim. The Kabbalistic Svarim. The oil, the light of Chanukah. Is the Oragon. Is this Or Mashiach. It's that light that was originally taken away from us in Bryas Oilam in the beginning of the creation and it was actually placed in the nails of Chanukah. And if you go deeper, nails of Chanukah really represents the ultimate and Teresh Ba'apeh is really the ultimate Nitzach and the victory that took place with the Chashmonaim against the Misiavnim. So that's a celebration. And I want to share with you a personal note. This happens, I don't know really how many years ago, but I was in Yeshiva, I was single. And um, and I had a Sephardi friend. He used to come in at night after a date. And you know what it is, another date. Never going to end. I'm never going to find the Shidduch. I'm just ready for Yush. And then I remember, for some reason, an inspiration came to me. I, was, I told him, I said, listen, I heard that Rav Birnbaum, he said, you know, if the Bochim, they're going out and looking for the Shilch, will spend less time on the, on the payphone. Remember the phone with, uh, with an actual, <laughs> the old phone, people don't know what I'm talking about. He used to go to the booth and hold the phone and dial. He said if they would spend less time there and more time in the base of Middash, they would find the Shidduch much quicker. That's what he said. And for some reason I shared this with him. And I said, you know what? It's two, three weeks before Hanukkah. Let's go. There's about ten simanim. Let's go to the tour and the base Yosef and the Gemara. It'll be so gishmak. And he took me on. He said, why not? 
he was 29 years old. He was a Sephardi. And I think somewhat, some, some of the challenge was he was looking for an Ashkenazi girl. Okay. It's a little bit of a, of Kilai, but it happens. We spent, we loved it. I remember it was something that almost I haven't experienced in a while. Just, just sit. There was no, I don't think I had a cell phone in those days. So it was even easier. All you had was the payphone that would ring and very difficult to get. We learned, we finished the sugyas, we finished the shtol, the shuchonach. Mamish, about two weeks after, this Hele Kiyid, I forget even his first name, got engaged. Not only did he get engaged, Baruch Hashem, Siyate Dishmai, Ashkenazi girl. Not, not just an Ashkenazi girl, a Jinjit. <laughs> a redhead, I have a, an affinity for, 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 for Jinjim. I appreciate it. I grew up as a Jinji. As a redhead, the Merchle say, Nachman was a redhead, the Balshetov was a redhead. Whatever it was, he was happy and he was Zoycha. And I told him, it's so clear. Bishchus Hatayra. Bishchus Neroys of Chanukah. This year, we should take the tool, the Shukhanoch, the Bishisif, and somehow go through the, the Gemaras and the Shukhanoch like we've never done before. Thank you, Rabbi Koran, for your amazing, powerful words. Our next speaker is Rabbi Ephraim Epstein. As we know, he's a tremendous rabbi. He, his 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 sefer he recently published called Davin Divine. Everyone should go out, go right now to your local bookstore, or 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 purchase Davin Divine Rabbi Ephraim Epstein. It would definitely uplift and and give meaning to your prayers, to your daily davening. I mean, specifically your Shabbos davening, as that's that's what the sefer is about. Davening Divine is a great great honor to call upon Rabbi Ephraim Epstein. This is Rabbi Epstein with a Hanukkah story to inspire. We know the theme of Hanukkah is Persume Nisa, the Farsame to publicize the miracle. Where's the best place to put the menorah? By the door, by the window, outside in Eretz Yisrael, where outside? Because we want to publicize the miracle as best we can. So I had a Talmud many years ago. But he was back in the United States and he decided that he was going to drive up to his old college stomping grounds in Ithaca, New York. And he didn't listen to the weather warning and it was a stormy night and it was Hanukkah. And sure enough, when he was up in the forestry area, He slid off the road and his car could not be moved and now what was he supposed to do? Don't know if he had cell phone usage at the time, so he got out of his car and started walking. Walking and walking until he saw a house. Isolated house. He knocked on the door, the person answered, how can I help you? He says, I was in a bit of a car wreck, I need to call uh, AA. Triple A, would you let me in? My name is David. They opened the door. He uh, thanked them. They gave him a little bit of tea. And he saw out of the corner of his eye something that looked like a menorah. And he couldn't hold himself back and said, do you know what that is over there? They said, "Uh, it's a family... 
heirloom. We don't really know what they use it for, a candelabra of sorts. David said, you know, that's a Hanukkah menorah, a Hanukkiah. And tonight's Hanukkah. Would you like me to light your menorah with you like millions of Jews around the world? They looked at him, they said, you do that for us? He said, maybe that's why I got in an accident. Took the menorah, lit, made haneros halalu, maus tsur. They happened to have uh, candles in the house in case there was a blackout. And when he finished, AAA showed up and dug him out and he was on his way. tremendous lesson in this story it's not enough to have our mitzvah be mafarsametanes that our Hanukkiah is publicizing the miracle we also have to try and be mafarsametanes with ourselves kiner mitzvah v'torah or it's our task that we are like a candle and our souls are like the fire. And it's our task to publicize the miracle of Hanukkah and to bring of Hashem in this world. It's not by accident that Hanukkah always falls out the darkest time of the year, where the nights are longest. Let's bring a little light into the darkness that surrounds us. We'll do that with our mitzvahs, but this year, let's do it with ourselves as well. A Freilich and Hanukkah to you. Thank you, Rabbi Epstein, for your amazing words. It was a great, great honor to call upon the CEO and founder of Chazak, Rabbi Yaniv Meirov, who, who does so much for Klai Yisrael, gives, who literally is most nefesh for Klai Yisrael, day and night. There's no day, there's no night. He's working for Klai Yisrael. It's a great, great honor to call upon Rabbi Yaniv Meirov. It's a beautiful story that we can connect with Hanukkah. It has to do with Ramosha Feinstein, a blessed memory. And the story goes that there was an elderly lady that calls the house of the rabbi. And the rabbi wasn't available to speak at the time. And one of the rabbi's helpers happens to be there. And he answered the phone and he says, uh, is there anything we can help you with? And she says, yes, could I please speak with the rabbi? And they explained to her, the rabbi's not available. And she says, and she was insisting, I always speak to the rabbi before Shabbat. I have an important question. I always ask him, can I please speak with him? And the rabbi was really, really not available. And the helper says, maybe I could be of help. What's the question? And she asks, what time does Shabbat begin? And the rabbi, the helper, thinks to himself, he's like, wow. The rabbi gets questions all over the world, the most complex questions. And here is a lady that calls every week, and the rabbi answers her every week, what time does Shabbat begin? That's gadlut, that's greatness. We all know that on Hanukkah, we light the menorah. And what is the highest candle? It's the shamash. 
Why is it bigger than the others? Why is it tall? We even make a bracha on it. It's because it helps the others to light. And when you help others, you are gadol, you're bigger. That is the concept we say in the Brit Milah, Baruch Hashem, we just had a baby boy. And uh, we said, Zeakatan, gadol yeh. The baby cries, the baby wants food, the baby wants to be changed. Me, 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 me. It only takes, takes, takes. It's a katan. That's what a katan is. A small child doesn't mean size, but his actions, the fact that he only takes. But gadoliyeh means that he should be a giver. He should do for others. Now we can understand the concept of a gadol hador. What's a gadol hador? The biggest of the generation. What, in size? No. It's by actions, by caring, for doing for others. That is what makes a gadol hador, a gadol hador, the greatest rabbi of the generation, by caring for others, for, by doing for others. This Hanukkah, when we light the menorah, let's remember to light up the night. When do we light the menorah? It's at night when it's darkness, when there's difficulty, when there's hardships. It's bound to happen, unfortunately, but what do we have to do as a nation? We have to light up the night, we have to light up the world, we have to be a light unto the nation. We have to be there for others. We have to care for others. That is the message for tonight, and we should all take it to heart. And to remember the beautiful story by Moshe Feinstein. Be there for others, no matter what the situation is, always help others. And Be'ezat Hashem, we should be zochei, we should merit. To see the Geulah Shlema, the complete redemption, and to come, Be'erah Amen Amen Amen. Thank you, Rabbi Meir, for your amazing words. It is our great, great honor to call upon Rabbi Dovah Goldwasser. As we know, Rabbi Goldwasser is a tremendous raw from Brooklyn, from Brooklyn, New York. He writes so many articles, so many svarim. He really inspires um, so, um, so many people in Klai through, 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 through the written word and through his amazing um, shiurim and lectures. But, um, and as we know, Rabbi Goldwasser is an amazing Powerful. We have Chazak has an amazing program every Saturday night with Dr. David Lehman, followed by Rabbi Go, Rabbi David Goldwasser, where Rabbi Go, where, where Dr. Lehman speaks about transforming relationships and people sending their questions and the answer, and we we answer them on the spot. And and and, and we have Rabbi David Goldwasser who, who week in week out is 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 reviewing the secrets of life through Perkyavos. Join us every Saturday night at eight thirty p.m. Eastern Standard Time at twentytime.com/slash/kazaklive for that amazing program. Twentytime.com/slash/kazaklive is a great great article by Rabbi David Goldwasser. Bruchim aboim b'shem Hashem. What a great schus it is to be united throughout the entire world on the great Yom Tov of Hanukkah. The Chidush Arim points out that it says in Baba Medlikin, that there are certain oils in certain wicks that are invalid, that cannot be used for the Shabbos candles. However, on Hanukkah, we are allowed to use those oils, we're allowed to use those wicks, even if they may be of inferior quality. What is the reason? Says the Chidush Arim, because there are certain people of Achenu B'nai Yisrael, that might have strayed. They may have wandered off. They may have been assimilated. But even those will be able to find their way back on the great Yom Tov of Hanukkah. Years ago, there were two Bochrim that were sent from Eretz Yisrael because of the dire poverty, because of the lack of food and fuel and clothing. They were sent to Prague in order to raise money in order to bring back some Parnassah for the people of Yerushalayim. 
And so two students came to Prague and they were to stay at a host's home who was very wealthy. Friday afternoon they came in and until they got to their host's home, it happened to be almost before Shabbos. The host showed them to their room and then quickly they went to shul. When they came Friday night, there was a young man in his early 20s that rose from the congregation, that became the Shliach Tzibor, that led the Kehila with a wondrous voice. People were crying to hear that voice, the Hisoiris, the inspiration that he gave over to everybody. After the davening, they came to their host's home and they were fed a Suda Kesuda Shlomo Amelech Beshaito, a beautiful, lavish Suda. And they enjoyed, and they ate, and they drank, and they sang Zmiras, and they had some beautiful Divrei Torah. They went to sleep that night. The next morning, when they went through the living room, they noticed that there were valuable antiques, beautiful wall hangings. However, on the mantle, there was a gold tray, and on the gold tray, there were broken pieces of glass encrusted with dirt. And the coat, that was also dirty, hanging on the side. They wondered what it was. And in fact, when they saw their host and met him in order to go to shul, they asked him. He said, I don't have the time now to tell you about it, but maybe later. They went to shul. Once again, the young chazan ascended, sang so beautifully, moved the entire tzibor. Everybody was wowed. After davening, they went back, another beautiful suda. They wanted to ask their host concerning that tray with the broken glass, but there was no time. They went back one more time. In the shul, the chazan again ascended the amud, davened beautifully, moved everyone with his voice. And then when they returned for Shalash Sudas, back to the house, at that time, there was a little bit of extra that they could ask their host about the tray. And they begged him, please tell us, we're very curious. He said, I want you to know, I was a very poor boy and I didn't have enough money, not for food, not for clothing, not for anything. I came to Prague and I began to make money. Little by little, I did quite well and I became wealthier. The wealthier I became, I began to forget about my tefillin every day. I began to forget about looking into a safer. I began to forget the Heilige Shabbos. I began to forget about Yiddishkeit. In fact, I forgot about Boreolom, the Heilige Bashefer. I pretty much became an assimilated Jew. It happened to be one afternoon, later in the afternoon, my driver was taking me somewhere. And I saw a boy, and the boy was in the puddle with his head down, on the road, he was crying and crying. 
and I felt so bad. I said to the driver, wait, wait. I got out of the car and I saw the boy and I took a look at it. He was complete in all mud. He was there with broken glass on the ground. And I asked him, what is going on? He said, I tell you the truth. I come from a very poor family. We were down to our last 10 coins. A decision was made that either we would have a little bit of food for Shabbos or oil to light for Hanukkah. We agreed that we all wanted the schus of the mitzvah of Hanukkah. It was to be the night of Hanukkah that night. And so I was sent to buy the oil. I was carrying it in the glass container. However, the streets are very slippy. They're all wet with mud. I slipped, and as you see, I fell. And the glass container broke. All the oil ran out. And he began to wail. And he said, how can I return? I don't have the oil, and I don't have the food. I can't bear to see my father have such tsar, such pain. When I heard this, the man said, my bones began to shake. I began to cry even more than that little child in the mud. I took him to the store. I bought oil. I bought food. I bought for the Shabbos Suda. I bought gifts. I bought candies. And I took him home. And I told the family, make your Shabbos beautiful and I will return on Sunday. I returned on Sunday. I took the whole family into my house. I did everything that I could for them. I told them they could live with me. And I took those pieces of glass with the dirt and the mud on it. And I took my coat that became muddy when I went down to help that child. And I hang it up. And I put those glass pieces on a gold tray because they are more precious to me than anything in this world. The reason is, is because those pieces of glass and that coat is what brought me back to Yiddishkeit. I guess you're wondering about that child, the young man that you saw davening, the chazan that was so beautiful, that daven, and everybody had such isoiris. Let me tell you, that chazan is the young boy who was crying in the puddle. What we learn is that a person should always remember the isoiris of Hanukkah. The host gave to those two Bachrim a huge donation to take back to Yerushalayim. Everyone, the Yom Tov of Hanukkah, calls out to all of us, come home, come back, come back to Yiddishkeit. And for those that never left, come closer, come closer to our Father in Heaven. 
Thank you, Rabbi Golwasser, for your amazing words. It's a great, great honor to call upon Rabbi Achio Spiro, who actually just recently came out with an, an, another amazing uh, safer for art school. He's, he's, he's non-stop. He's doing for Klai Yisrael. He's produced for Klai Yisrael. So a great, great honor to call upon Rabbi Achio Spiro. Hanukkah is just around the corner. And Arizal tells us something that on the surface seems to be very profound and very beautiful, but it really doesn't make sense. Or so it appears. Darizal tells us that the word ner, a candle, is gematria 250 to represent the 248 limbs that a person has. Huh? 250 or 248, which one is it? Says Darizal that when a person lights the candles, whether it be a woman lighting Shabbos candles, or when we're lighting the Hanukkah candles, Yes, the 248 limbs of a person is represented by that candle, but there's an extra two limbs, kaviyochol, as if to say, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the Almighty, wraps his arms around us. Those extra two, the two arms that are wrapped around every single Jew to embrace every single Jew, that's represented by the nair, by the candle. Beautiful, stunning idea. Let me tell you a story that is equally beautiful. There was a young boy, teenage boy, 14 years old. His name is Dovi. Dovi had an older brother, Eli. Eli was 17, and Rahman al sadly, tragically, his brother got sick, and his older brother, who he looked up to, who he loved, who he admired, passed away. As if that was not bad enough, a few months later, Dovi's father got sick and he too died. It was almost too much to think of, too much to bear. And so Dovi spoke it over with his Rebbe. He wanted to do something and he decided he was going to learn a Mesechta. Lezecher Nishmas, his brother and his father. Mesechas Megillah. And he goes over to his Rebbe about seven months later, eight months later, and he says, can I borrow 50 shekel? He says, 50 shekel? What do you need 50 shekel for? He says, I'd like to buy some rugalach. I'd like to buy some cookies and some soda for the siyam. He says, what? Absolutely not. Rugalach and cookies and soda for this siyam? My wife is going to cook and bake for the siyam. It's going to be gorgeous. And you can invite whoever you want. And he invited his friends and he invited his family. And he says, if you would not mind, I'd love to invite one politician. A politician? Okay. Who do you want to invite? He says, Moshe Leon. Moshe Leon you want to invite? Now, Moshe Leon is currently the mayor of Yerushalayim. At that time, he was not yet the mayor. But he says, if you'd like to invite him, sure. And sure enough, Mr. Moshe Leon came to the Siam. The Siam was beautiful. The Rebbe's wife made such a magnificent spread. And finally, it was time to make the Siam. He made the Siam, and Mr. Leon walks in. It's beautiful. They're singing. They're dancing. And then Mr. Moshe Leon asked, if you don't mind, could I share with you the story of why I'm here? He says, you know, as you know, in 
the year 2013, I was running against Nir Barkat, and I campaigned against him. And the people on my campaign said, let's go get some good shots, some good video footage of you going to the shuk to get your Arba Minim. It was Sukkah's time. Go get your Lulav, your Esrig. I walk into the Lulav and Esrig shuk, and I see a young man, Dovi, who's looking at his Lulav and his Esrig. I began to ask him about it. I said, what's this all about? Could you tell me the halachas? And of course, he tells me everything. I said, how do you know it so well? He says, well, my older brother passed away, and my father passed away. I'm the man of the house. He says, you're the man of the house. Really? He says, yes. He says, do me a favor. If you ever make like a seum or something special, I'd love to come. And he invited me. And that's why I'm here. So first of all, Dovi, I have a 32-volume set of Shulchan Aruch in my car. It was too heavy to bring upstairs. Number two, I have a check for you that whatever expenses you have in the future, I'm going to take care of. And finally, when it comes time for you to get married, I am going to sponsor your entire wedding and I am going to set up your apartment. Everybody was stunned. And he says, let me tell you why. I'm on the campaign trail and I lost. And I'm thinking to myself, why did Hashem make me go through this entire campaign just to lose? And I realized that the reason is because Hashem wanted me to meet Dovi. That's the whole reason that Hashem sent me on this campaign trail. That's the message behind it. And here was Dovi, who a few months before thought that Hashem had abandoned him, and now at this moment he realized that Hashem had wrapped his arms around him and was holding him and would never let go. And that's the message of Hanukkah. Sometimes we seem to be facing insurmountable odds, but if we'd only realize that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is wrapping his arms around us, and he loves us, oh, we'd be able to do and accomplish anything. Thank you, Rabbi Spiro, for your amazing words. It's a great, great honor to call upon Rav Gav Friedman, Rabbi Gavriel Friedman, who, 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 who touches the lives of, of tens of thousands of people every single day. He's a renowned lecturer from Asia Torah and from many other amazing organizations. His, his Daf Yomi Shir is unbelievable. And everyone should check it out. You should definitely, um, if, if you're looking for a great Dr. Yomi Shir, you should definitely, uh, another, one of the tremendous options would be Rabbi Gabriel Freeman's Dr. Yomi Shir, which you can find on Torah anytime. You can find on all, you can find on all Dr. It's a great honor to call upon Rav Gabriel Freeman. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. An honor and a privilege to be part of this event brought to you by Stories to Inspire. Avraham Greenbaum lived through the horrors of the Holocaust. Avramo, they called him. But although, thank God, he, able, he was able to make it through, he made it through the Holocaust uh, physically. Spiritually, not as much. And he decides he's done, over, done skis. He's moving on with his life, and he changes his name. He's not even going to go by Avramo or Avram. He changes to Aaron Green. Aaron Green. And he moves to Alabama. Meets a nice lady, and he gets married to her. Accidentally, by it just happened to work out. She was Jewish. It was not it was by no fault of his own. He, he's done with this. But okay, she happens to be Jewish. They have a son. The son's name is Jeffrey. Fast forward 
couple years later, my couple of me, 13. Jeffrey is turning 13. He's going to be bar mitzvah. Now, they, they don't really have any plans that they're going to go and, and now celebrate a bar mitzvah. Remember, they're running away from it. But both of them, they feel something like a bar mitzvah. We should do something. So they decide they're going to buy him a gift. For his birthday, his 13th birthday, they take him to the mall, say anything you want, it's yours. Go ahead, you buy it, it's yours, whatever you'd like. So they go into an electronic store and he's looking through all the different systems and everything, of course, like the Ataris and the Nintendos. You know what I'm talking about. He saw Ping and Pong and all this stuff. As he's looking, though, he notices something. He looks through the window and he sees another store across the hall and he's taken by that. And he says to his father, he wants to go check something out there. And they go across to an antique shop. There's an antique store. And when they go into the store, he goes, that, I want that. They look up, and what was it? A wooden menorah. A wooden menorah is like a menorah. Are you kidding me? Like in his head, he's thinking, I'm running away from this. I don't want any of this kind of stuff. And the son says, you said I can get anything. I want the menorah. I want that. I want that wooden thing over there. So his father says to him, okay, you know, I promised you whatever you'd like. Okay. There's an old man behind the counter. He says, how much? How much for the menorah? And he says, oh, uh, that's not for sale. Because we mean it's not for sale. What I mean is, it's not for sale. He said, my friend, this is a store. You have it up in the thing. It's for sale. He goes, nope, not for sale. And he offers him, he's like, I'll pay X not. No, sorry, he's like, listen, I found out the history of the menorah. There's some guy, he put this menorah together. It took him months. It was during the war. And, and he went out and he was looking, he was searching. And he found all different parts of wood. And he built this menorah. He put the menorah together by himself. And uh, it's going to be after months and months of things. He didn't even survive the war. This is going to be a collector's item. It's not for sale. <laughs> he says, sorry, kid, not for sale. He starts, to, he starts to leave. His son says, Dad, you said anything. He says, ah. So he keeps offering more and more money until the guy finally is like, all right, deal. You know, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll get you. It's for sale. He buys it for him. The kid is so, he's so excited. He takes it home. And he plays with it. He's looking at it. He's, and he's enjoying this day, day after day. One day they hear a uh, crash, bang, boom. Parents run upstairs, see what's going on. The menorah fell over, smashed into a bunch of pieces. His father gets all angry. You, how could you do that? You broke the gift I got for you. Of course, he's thinking, it cost me a lot of money. That's what, what he's upset about. Okay, how should be so careless? Ah, he left the room. He calmed down a little bit. He said, you know what? It feels bad. He goes back up. He goes, let's try to glue it back together. He goes back to the sun. We'll try to glue it back together. So he starts picking up some pieces. When he picks up one of the pieces, he notices that there's a piece of paper stuck, wedged into the, into the wood. He pulls it out. And when he pulls it out, he starts to look at the letter. His eyes start filling up with, with tears. And his family around him look as he looks on at this paper in shock. He's in another place. Finally, they get his attention, you know. He said, well, what is it? What is it? And he said, let me read to you what it says in this letter. The letter was written in Yiddish. They didn't speak Yiddish. He did. This is, I'll translate. I'm going to read it to you. It says like this. To whoever finds this menorah, I want you to know that I constructed it not knowing if I would ever have the opportunity to light it. 
Who knows if I will live to Hanukkah to see it being kindled. In all probability, going through this war, I will not. But if providence brings this menorah to your hands, you who are reading this letter, promise me that you will light it for me, for us, for my family, and those who gave their lives to serve God Almighty. Aaron Greenland looked up at his family with tears in his eyes. At a choked up voice, he says, the letter was signed by my father. Everybody was speechless. <laughs> this what do you say after that? The family recognized the hashkoch of Pratis. They understood, wow, there's something bigger going on over here. And they decided to, to turn their lives around. They started getting more involved in Torah and mitzvahs. How could, how could they not? Yad Hashem was right in front of them. Taking a menorah from Europe, traveling, taking all the way back to a family in this remote random place in Alabama, which ultimately brought them back to Torah, true Judaism. Hanukkah is that battle. Hanukkah is that struggle that the Yidden said, we're going to stay connected. We're going to stay connected to the Rebona Shalom. We're not going to allow you to take away our heritage and our roots. We're going to fight and we're going to keep fighting to make sure that we too can continue living Torah true Judaism. The year was 1941, and the man who would later become the Rosh HaYeshiva, the Dean of Tel's Yeshiva in Cleveland, Rav Chaim Stein Zetzal, was on a train together with a group of friends and acquaintances fleeing the Nazis deep into Russia. The train was taking them ever deeper into Siberia. Hanukkah came around, and the group sat around and discussed how can we fulfill the mitzvah of lighting the Hanukkah menorah this year? We're in the middle of Siberia, on a train. Nowhere that candles can be acquired. Wicks, we'll pull them out of our clothing. Oil, we don't have oil. Where can we get oil? You can't buy oil on a train in Siberia. I guess we can't light the menorah. And then somebody had a brilliant idea. He said, look, fellows, every night the train stops for the night and we sleep on that train. Well, the wheels on the train turn and they accumulate a lot of dirt and a lot of grease. How about we crawl under the train car and we scrape the grease off of the wheels? There's not so much but I think there's enough there that we can scrape off enough for one candle each night. And that's what the men did. They braved the cold, bitter, sub-zero cold in Siberia. Every night they crawled on the ground under the train and scraped off those wheels, as much grease as they could, so that they should have enough to burn 
a Hanukkah candle, the minimum amount of time that it needs to burn, but at least they could do the mitzvah. And they did this the first night, and the second night, the third night, and the fourth night. The fifth night, it had rained, and then it snowed. There was no grease to be found under the train. Try as they might, they lay there on the ground, in the snow, with hardly anything to cover them. Doing anything they could just to see, can they fulfill, can they be Mekayim, the mitzvah of Hanukkah? There was no grease to be had. And finally, they got back on the train. They realized there's no hope. They can't do it. Tonight, they won't fulfill the mitzvah of Hanukkah. Maybe tomorrow night. And eventually, dejected and depressed, everybody went to sleep. But not Reb Chaim. Reb Chaim and one other fellow said, if we can't physically perform the mitzvah, we can't physically fulfill the mitzvah, we'll fulfill the mitzvah a different way. We will sit and study the laws of Hanukkah. We will sit and study the laws of lighting the menorah. Because one who studies the laws is as if, is considered as if he has actually fulfilled the mitzvah. And this way, this is how we can fulfill the mitzvah. And that's what they did while everybody else on the train slept. Reb Chaim and his friend poured over the halachas of lighting the menorah. And in doing so, they didn't light an actual menorah, but they lit a candle. The candle, the flame of Torah, burned brightly on that train that night. Reb Chaim said, it was 4 a.m. Soon it would turn light outside. And suddenly they hear somebody's at the door of the train trying to open the door. And when the door opens, they finally see a big burly Russian man is standing in the doorway and he says, does anybody want to buy candles? Candles? In the middle of Siberia? In the middle of the night? On a train? What is he doing selling candles? But there was no time for questions. Reb Chaim quickly struck a deal with this gentleman, bought the candles, and let everybody on the train know we have candles, we can fulfill the mitzvah of Hanukkah, we can be Mekayim Hadlokas Neres Hanukkah. And they lit the candles that night. Reb Chaim said, the joy, the simcha that he had that night made an impression on him that did not leave him all his life. For years and years and years, every Hanukkah and many other times as well, Reb Chaim would share this story. He would share it with his family members. He would share it with his acquaintances. He would share it with his students. And he would tell them that what this story teaches is that just like Hanukkah, they so desperately wanted to light the menorah in the Beis HaMikdash, but they couldn't. There wasn't anything. But when you desperately want to do a mitzvah, Hashem says, you want it enough, I will make it possible, even when it's impossible. But I will make it possible. And Abraham said, we had a Hanukkah miracle that happened to us in the year 1941. There were no candles. There was no way to light. But we wanted it so desperately that Hashem made it possible. And anybody who wants to serve Hashem, and anybody who wants to do a mitzvah, and is willing to give of himself, even if he can't, 
Hashem will make it possible for him to do so. Have a wonderful Freilich and Lichtige Chanukah. And thank you for listening. Uh, it's our great, great honor to call upon the final speaker for tonight, Rabbi Dovi Ben Shushan, tremendous Rav and, 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 and lecture for Klai Yisrael, Rabbi Dovi Ben Shushan. And we want to remind everyone that, that they should continue watching these amazing shiurim right now at 20time.com slash live, Rabbi Dovi Ben Shushan. For all our friends at Stories to Inspire, Hanukkah is here. I don't know about you, but this is one of my favorite Hagim, not just as children, but even as adults, to stand in front of the menorah and to bond with the light is something that I cherish. I, I count down and look forward to it every year. I want to tell you that that light means so much to Klal Yisrael. It's the light of Torah, but it's the light of the Mesirut Nefesh, that the Jewish people were ready to die in order to keep the light of Torah burning. I want to tell you about a little bit about that Mesirut Nefesh, incredible story that took place in Auschwitz in a concentration camp. Now, over the years, I'm sure you heard a lot of different stories, Hanukkah stories, that took place in concentration camps. And that's precisely the point, that all those stories testify to the very point I'm trying to make. The Mesirut Nefesh for a Jew in impossible situations. But Chanukah, a mitzvah, Torah, is not something that we bend. We're ready to die for it. We're ready to be Moser, Nafshenu, Ayideh, Kiddush Hashem. Listen to this incredible story. So there was a young boy in the barracks and they used to mix the ages like this. No one could really group up together and make trouble. So they would put a young boy with an old man and a few middle-aged men. That was basically a mix of the whole group in this particular bungalow that they called the barracks in Auschwitz. And this young boy, he was a very driven, very strong boy. And he decided that this year, he doesn't know how, but he's going to bring a Hanukkah light to the barracks of Auschwitz. So what does he do? He comes up with this great idea. He takes this little bag that he had, and every single day, months before Hanukkah came around, he would walk around in the mornings and he would ask everybody for a small piece of their potato peel as a donation for a Hanukkah fund. And people had no idea what the boy was talking about, but they thought it was interesting. So every day they would give off a tiny little something of their potato peel, and they would drop it in the bag, and they would give it to this boy as he collected it from all the people in the barracks every single day. And this small little stash of potato peels, little by little, day by day, week by week, started to grow. Now it was only a few days before Hanukkah, and the boy had this stash of potato peels hidden underneath one of the wooden planks. And every morning he'd pull it out and he'd do another collection. And now before Hanukkah, he had a small fortune of potato peels. People are thinking, what's he gonna do with it? He goes to the kitchen and he talks to the kapo. 
he talks to the Jew in charge who is overseeing the kitchen. He says, listen, I'll make you a deal you can't, you can't refuse. Take this bag of potato peels, it's a fortune, and I'll trade it to you, I'll barter, I'll trade it for just a little bit of oil and some matches, just enough for eight nights. What do you think? The kappa looks at the boy. Who put these crazy ideas in your head? This is what you're thinking about in a death camp? Your mind should be on living, on surviving. Boy, who put these things in your head? And the boy tried to explain to him, this is the living. This is the only way to survive. Sure enough, he makes the deal. He says, fine, if you want to give away your food, I mean, food was the most precious thing in a death camp. You want to give away your food? I'll take it. Here, he gives him the oil. He gives him the matches. And he laughs, and he sends the boy off. This boy hides it in his pajamas, makes his way back to the barracks. And that night, the first night of Hanukkah, he hides it in the empty plank underneath the floor. And he tells the older man who is a rabbi, he tells the rabbi of the group, he says, Rabbi, you're not going to believe it. Tonight's the first night of Hanukkah. I have some oil. I have matches. Remember the potato peels that I was collecting for months? I used it. I bartered with it. And now we can have the mitzvah of Hanukkah tonight, right under the noses of the Nazis. The rabbi was elated. He said, you're a brilliant kid. You're brave. Hashem is going to bless you one day for this. He turns to everyone in the group and he tells them, you're not going to believe it. We're lighting a Hanukkah menorah tonight. The night, the first night of Hanukkah. And sure enough, that night at 2 o'clock in the morning, the rabbi wakes everybody up. And it's funny to say that because nobody was sleeping. When they went to bed, they only faked that they're sleeping because they were so excited that in such a dark place, they can light such a precious light. Nobody slept. And then at 2 o'clock in the morning, they all got out of bed. They picked up the plank and pulled out the oil with the matches. They filled up a small cup. They ripped off a piece from their pajamas and used it as a fine wick, dropped it into the oil, and the rabbi, with tears rolling down his cheeks, lit the match as everyone sat in a circle around this tiny little menorah right in the middle. And the rabbi, with all the kavanah, with tears flowing, Baruch atah Hashem, lahadlik ner shel Chanukah. Baruch atah Hashem, she'asah nisim l'avotenu, bayamim ahem bazman hazeh. And then the last beracha, he couldn't believe he was making the beracha of Shechianu in a concentration camp. But how true is it? Shechianu, v'kiimanu, v'higianu. Hashem, you kept us alive. You keep us going. Bazman hazeh. And he lights the wick. And everyone in the circle was crying out of happiness. And they started to not sing. That was too dangerous. But they started to hum the Ma'oz Tzor. And they all looked at this boy. And boy, did they give him a Hazaku Baruch. And they gave him a hug. It's because of you. We were able to do the most precious mitzvah in the most darkest of places. We lit up the greatest light of Klal Yisrael. The Chanukah Menorah. 
they let it burn for just a minute or two, just enough to be yotzed the mitzvah, and then quickly they put it out. They closed it up, wrapped it up, put it back underneath that plank in the floor. Everyone dropped back into bed as if they were sleeping, and they went to sleep that night with a smile. The next night, they did it again the second night. And this time they pulled it out of the floor and they honored the next to the oldest of the group to be the one to light the menorah. And he too started to cry. And as they hummed the ma'osur, they couldn't believe it, the second night they lit the menorah. And then the third night. The fourth night, the rabbi turns to this young boy and says, I feel that tonight you should be the one to light it. The fourth night is yours. And the boy said, Rabbi, I, I, I would be fine if the other older people went. Rabbi says, no. Tonight is your night. We owe you such a hakarat tov. You gave us the opportunity. A menorah in Auschwitz on the nights of Hanukkah. Tonight is yours. The boy was so elated. <laughs> All day he was skipping and dancing through the work. It was as if that night he was getting married. It was, it was like an unbelievable something to look forward to. That night everyone goes to sleep and the boy was so antsy in bed. He was smiling and laughing to himself. I'm going to light the menorah tonight. I'm going to make the berachot tonight. It's my mitzvah. At two o'clock in the morning they all jumped out of bed. They pulled the oil. They pulled the matches out from the floor. They sat again in a circle and they set up the four little lights of oil. And after they ripped off the pieces of their pajamas to make the wicks, they handed the matches to the boy. And the boy looks to the rabbi with a smile because he doesn't know the berachot by heart. And the rabbi turns and he says to him, let's make the berachot together. Repeat after me. Baruch. And the boy closes his eyes. Baruch. And just then, the doors to the barracks Swing open and in charges the Nazi soldiers. And they start yelling and screaming, Achtung, what's going on here? You think you can do a menorah in Auschwitz? You think you can do mitzvot over here under our nose? They grabbed the older rabbi. They grabbed the older men and they took him outside into the freezing snow. They kicked the boy to the side. They took all the older men. They took him outside to punish them. This boy, he says, no, wait, stop. This is my night. This is my menorah. This is my mitzvah. I was just about to make the biracha. You are not going to stop us. The boy runs up to the window. The window was frigid and freezing. He puts his hand on the window, leaning on the window, he sees outside as they're dragging away the older rabbi and the men, and he screams, come back, I want to do this mitzvah, I want to light the menorah, you're not going to stop us, Baruch Atah Hashem, and the boy makes the beracha, Lahadlik Ner Chanukah, Baruch Atah Hashem, Sha'asani Sim Lavotenu, Bayamim Ahen, Bazeman Hazeh, just then the boy realizes as he's screaming up against the window with his hand leaning against the freezing glass, the skin on his hand gets stuck to the glass and quickly 
he pulls his hand off the glass and there on the glass of the window was the imprint of his five fingers with the drop of blood on the top of each finger. The fourth light was lit. One, two, three, four. With the shamosh. That's what this mitzvah is all about. They tried to stop us for so many years. So many came along and so many disappeared. And Klal Yisrael is still here. We're like the oil. No matter what country, no matter what time, no matter what galut, we don't mix. We rise to the top. We sacrifice and we light up the world with our Torah. Happy Hanukkah. Enjoyed this story? Come again. Bring a friend. Stories to inspire.org.